want you to know I I, uh, I appreciate and I notice that your little icon flips on at exactly the time we start, six thirty my time. It doesn't. I'm usually I usually early. I was running a little late today. Just made mm. it just in time. That makes me wonder though. It makes me wonder if you get there at what nine twenty eight your time. Uh, I I usually give myself ten minutes. So when it's ten minutes to then I have to be going down because I got to get everything all set up. Got to make sure I got my glass of water. Got to make sure all the kids are tucked in. Got to make sure the dog is attended to. You know, got to yeah. do all the things. Got my box of tissues over here in case I need to <laughs> blow my nose during the show. Uh, you know, how, often you blow your, how often do you blow your nose? We don't know it. Su- a surprising amount. More than, once gotta, per ep- more than once per episode? Oh, yes. I, I already, no. did, already did it once this episode. No. Got to put other, the other computers that are in the room asleep. What? What? You don't even. That's amazing. I know you. I know you mute almost all of your laughs. Sometimes you laugh and don't mute. If I'm not talking, I'm muting almost all the time. Oh God, you're a monster. Oh, I can never hear your streetcar. I clear my phlegm off mic. Hmm. Yeah, I'm mostly good about that. Sometimes in an after show, I'll forget and I'll do a snort, like a real bad, like you're in the shower, like a Farmer's Hanky kind of snort. I'm familiar with your snorts. They're not that bad. They're really not. Not as bad as you're snoring. I mean, you know. I was informed by by a listener that there's now been an update to an iOS sleep app that somehow detects that you're snoring and does something haptic. Do you think there's something called iOS sleep app, Nia? (laughs) It's got to be something with that name. That's good. The Apnea store. You wear one of those K-Paps. Yeah. Yep. But see, I, I always imagine that you get there. And you sit down, you got your glass of water, you, you checked out the dog, you turned off the back place. I imagine you sitting there, you're like, uh-huh, 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 29, 52, 53, 54. And like, it, it seems like it lights up of, at almost exactly the right time. It's not, usually not a lot of downtime. Down like, I have it timed pretty well, like many routines yeah. in my life. That it, 10 minutes is about the amount of time it takes me to do all those things with one or two extra trips because I forgot something, you know, hmm. or some kid wants one more thing, you know. Um, can I ask you a question that's not on the list? Sure thing. I feel like this is tied up in one of our potential topics, but I'm going to ask. Um, what is your feeling about punctuality? Do you, are you, do you strive to be punctual? And perhaps as importantly, do you notice and does it bother you? Do you notice and or does it bother you when people are not punctual? Do you have a feeling about punctuality as a value? This is a discussion that only comes up when you feel like there are possible answers to that question. It's kind of like, how do you feel about strangers spitting on you? Do you like it or do you not like it? And if you don't like it, why don't you like it? How much spit is too much spit? Is it just a little bit right. of spit okay, or is it only when the volume of spit is very high that you have, you know, so I don't want to bring like in the whole... I know, it'd be like me asking, do you feel like me giving you the opportunity to talk about things that are valuable in your life is actually a reflection of my own flaws? I didn't call you out at all. I'm mm, just saying that this, this topic that. of conversation only comes up when you believe there is a, there is a possibility space. Well, okay, so there, the, okay, well, okay, that's funny. That's a funny bit, but the reason I ask is I I think I have a prediction. If you want to write it down on a card, I have a prediction about what you think. 
I like the write it down on the card gimmick for people who are separated by thousands of miles and can't see each other. You don't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I heard, heard the streetcar. Don't you? Mm. It was affordable. Um, my guess is that you strive mightily to be punctual, A. B, you absolutely notice when other people are not punctual, but perhaps, and here's the, here's the John Syracuse twist, is that C, I bet you're also fairly forgiving of people who are not punctual because you allow for that because you're, you're generous about other people. How close did I get? I didn't write it on the card. Hmm. Uh, see, I'm judging myself, my punctuality. I'm judging myself on, a, on like the scale that I grew up with. And in the, the, in the scale that I grew up with, in the place where the possibility space of this conversation is much narrower than you are suggesting, I feel like I'm below average in punctuality. But I'm below, measuring but it. Really on, below like a national average of adult no, men? No, no. Below the average uh, of the, the environment in which I grew up, in which... Everyone is expected to be on time, and if you're not, it is is a, a mistake and a source of shame, right? That that's a given. Well, I mean, think about like ch- ch- doesn't church f- figure into that? I don't think it's a church because you got to really I, jam on Sunday mornings. You need to be in. Uh, I don't know what your people call it, but you got to be in the big room, like uh, at eight thirty or whatever. If you're there for early mass, you got to really be there. I guess I am from New York, and I don't know if it's just a New York thing, but in general, every place we went and everything we did with everybody, not just my family, but everyone involved in all my community and school and, yes, church and, you know, and, yes, also relatives and stuff, of course you're expected to be on time. And I'm measuring myself against that standard to say, are you ever not on time? And the answer is sometimes I'd be like a little bit late. I'd be one or two minutes late. And that's why I'm putting myself below average. But never would I show up like, for instance, quote, unquote, intentionally late as in, I know I'm going to be late, but I'm not going to do anything to change that. It'll be fine. That is not even in the vocabulary. I'm merely measuring myself on how well do I meet the standard. And the standard is you are on time always for everything, no matter what it is. Important things, unimportant things. And you expect other people to be on time. And if they're not on time, you want to know what the deal is. Because we didn't have cell phones back then, so you can't call them to ask them if they've been in an accident. Right. But as soon as the time comes, even two minutes before, if they're not there, you're wondering, Gee, I wonder, you know, I wonder what went wrong, what, what's happening. And when they come, they need to have an explanation. And so I'm right. That's yeah, well, it the, needs to the be, standard the, the I'm first, I mean, first it needs to be acknowledged, right? Oh, no, certainly. Everybody, like, there would never be a question if you were there with somebody and it was two minutes to, and the person you were waiting for wasn't there. It's like, I wonder if they're going to show up. That would be the topic of conversation at that point. And if, as soon as they show up, it says, oh, you know, where, where have you been? What happened? Right. And so that's why I'm counting myself as below average, because occasionally I would be that person who would show up a minute late. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, or maybe maybe I missed I missed the bus to school a couple times, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying I'm below average. But the conversation you're having is, do you care that much about whether you show up on time? The answer is yes. Yes, I care whether I show up on time. And yes, I care whether you show up on time. And I expect it of everybody, even though I know I shouldn't. I know. Because I know people have different value systems. I do expect it. And if people don't show up on time and don't have a reason and don't seem to care, that is significant and meaningful to me. I, I'm very, I'm interested in that answer. And I, I think that was a thoughtful answer. Um, forgive me if you've heard me say this before, but I mean, I think one reason I'm sensitive about it, and I think I'm very forgiving because I'm practically the only person. And actually I, at one point I made a real, real dark line with Dan about how it's important to me to start when we say we're going to start. But I, I mostly let it slide with other people, whether it's recording or being somewhere, life is complicated, you know, public transit, whatever. 
But the truth is that I was personally a serially late person for everything throughout my life. And then I was surrounded by people who were by and large the same way, where it just became times to be at things at a certain time became very nebulous and very like, "Mm, you know, we'll get there down to where like sometimes you'd arrive at somebody's six person dinner party, like right before dessert. Like I look, I look back at that now and I feel, it sounds dumb, but I feel so ashamed of having acted that way because it's just to me that I don't mean this. I'm not, I don't mean this to be performative. I'm not trying to like subtweet anybody, but like to me, I, myself, I feel like that. I feel like I'm being so disrespectful of somebody by just skating and just not showing up somewhere on time. And I, I am very fretful about it. And like, I will go out of my way to be early for things. And I am an old man now. I'm that guy who's like, well, what if you get a flat tire guy? Like I, <laughs> I plan in that way. And like, to me, it's become a value as a way of showing that like, I, I honor and respect you. Like to me, it feels like a basic, you know, adult thing to do. It's like not spitting on people. I guess, but can I share another thought that's been banging around in my head? And I know you're going to like this because you like topics like this. Do you think punctuality and the expectation of punctuality comes out of privilege? Hmm. I'm I'm not, this is not a trick question. I'm really, I'm really, I've been thinking about it a lot and I wonder what you think. I have, I have some very nascent thoughts about it, but do you think, do you think the desire or the, the demand for punctuality comes from a place of privilege? It really depends on as they say in the business, which drives me nuts, the ask. It really depends on the ask. Um, The expectation of punctuality under extreme constraints is a kind of privilege because in order to pull off, I was thinking of this when you were talking on your other podcast about single dadding, right? Single parenting, when you got to wrangle your schedule and the kid's schedule and there's no one there to help you or whatever. Right. Um, There's no no redundancy. Like, the. And any kind of like constraints where there's a lot of things that have to happen. If you graph them on a timeline, you'd look at you and say, boy, that's pretty tight. Uh, the expectation that you're going to be able to pull that off when things start getting tight, that is a form of privilege because what can you, what can you do? It, what avenues are available to you? Well, you can pay money to help this. You can, you know, take a car to someplace instead of walking because exactly. that's the thing that you can do to afford. You can you hire can take someone. your private car that you are the single driver of. Right. Or even, you know, get a lift or something. Right. Or uh, you know, even, even being able to take public transportation, uh, you know, back and forth and back and forth instead of one trip and stay and then come back because you can afford to do the doubles. So as as the constraints mount, as in many things, privilege manifests in your ability to deal with unexpected things, even if it's something as small as being able to defo- to afford four train fares instead of two, because you don't even think about it. You're just like, well, this is what I have to do to make those deadlines. If that option wasn't available to you, what are you going to do? Right, On the other right. hand, if you have one appointment that day and you've got nothing else that day and you don't even have you have to go to work that day and you can't show up on time for it, that's just a question of planning. The privilege can come in and say, well, if you if the only way you can get there is five hours of public transportation, that's also gets into the big ask territory. So it's it's you know, I'm trying to come up with a scenario where I think like it's not it's not an undue burden, right? Anyone could do it. It's one train trip. You know, or it's like you could walk down the block to do it, or you're just going to your neighbor's house for dinner, right? And you have nothing else to do that day, and you just need to walk 20 steps over to your neighbor's house. You show up to that late, there's no privilege involved there. That's just you 
not thinking that it was particularly important to show up at the particular time. Now, this this gets into another one of the topics that we're probably not going to touch on today, but in terms of like politeness or at least etiquette. Yeah. Sometimes in terms of showing up for parties, there is this etiquette that I don't understand about when you are or aren't supposed to show up. So it's not easy for me to to talk about. You got to show up late to a party. You can't be on time. Yeah, that's what they tell me. But but I am the person who's there. I'm like, oh, we're the first people here. And I think I'm supposed to feel bad about that, but I never do. <laughs> if I show up before they say I would feel bad because you, you want them to have time to prepare or whatever. But actually, I would rather not go to a party where if I show up early, it's an inconvenience because the parties where you, if you show up early, uh, everyone thinks it's great is you're going to a good friend's house and you're going to help them set up. And that's like, well, I think a good, host always, a, good, a good host always has jobs ready for people who are early. Yeah, but but especially if it's like if you're going to someone you don't know, they might like oh not want you to see their house in the state of disarray and not want to ask you to help them. But if you're going to a really good friend that you, you've known for years, yeah. by all like means, if you're, you're trying there, to stuff gonna, the dirty you, dishes into your attic, you're going to pitch like it, right? You're going to help them do that. You are part of the team, you know. Um, but anyway, I, I so I guess the answer, my answer to your privilege question is. It is a factor uh, when things get constrained, and it's I guess my attempts to find examples show that it's constraints can come up in surprising places. So like I, I tried to make it like one event that day, but then again, if it's five hours of transport, that's a constraint too. So that affects things. But in the absence of constraints, uh, I think everyone finds themselves sometimes in a situation where the only thing stopping you from being on time is that you didn't either didn't care enough to be on time mm-hmm. or don't know how to be on time in terms of, you know, people like this who just, no matter how much they want to be on time. It's like a form cannot, of colorblindness. They just, there yeah. are, there are people that don't, they, they could, they, they would find it more. So I might be slightly hmm, insulted is too strong a word miffed that somebody's 25 minutes late for something. Whereas they even, if they feel even more strongly that it's crazy that anybody would notice that you were, you were 25 minutes, anything. Oh, actually, I, I was again, to reframe, I was thinking more of the situation where of course everyone would feel bad if they were late and cares about being late, but they can never correctly estimate travel time. For instance, like yeah. they always think it takes them five minutes to get somewhere where it, that it takes 30 minutes. And they're like, Oh, I can, I can be there. I have five minutes left. It's like five <laughs> minutes. It will take you five minutes to get your shoes on and get the car out of the garage. Right, it's like, the fault of the they, Seattle they, drivers. <laughs> no, no, like you don't, don't you understand how long it would, like five minutes you will not be out of your driveway because they don't have a, a grasp on time. What you're talking about is this thing that I mostly don't have much contact to where where people are just incensed at the idea that you should care exactly how late they are within like an hour range or 15 minute range or whatever, like just that it's, that all all appointments and times and agreements are mere suggestions about what may happen. Kind of like the, again, getting to politeness, the situation where you say things that ev- both parties understand you don't actually mean, right. but that you feel compelled to have to say, mm-hmm. and that every agreement to meet is like that. Like, uh, yeah, so we're going to go, you know, see a movie. I'll meet you at the movie theater at like such and such time or whatever. And it's just like, maybe we'll be there. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll come after the trailers are done. If you have their tickets for them, just wait outside or don't wait outside. or what, Especially in the time before cell phones drive you nuts if, if you had an agreement to meet somewhere to do a thing. And someone just doesn't show up, and before the days of reserved seating, and now you're sitting there waiting for the person yeah. to show up because you've got their tickets. Really, by the you're time in a they come, type situation. Yeah, by the time they come, you're in like the front row, left corner, or something, and then you just steam, and the whole time you're watching the movie, you're like, I'm not trying to make an arrangement to go to the movie with that person again. They can't handle showing up on time, and they don't care. I don't know who it's more of a cliche about, but in the coastal rivalries, I feel like there's a there is a kind of I don't know if you want to call it a cliche or a, a profile that people on the East coast and in particular in New York. Um, like if we say we're going to be somewhere at six, you need to be there at six. And the other cliche or profile of people on the West coast is like, I just might not show up because that's life. 
So I don't, I don't know if that's true, but I, it does feel like it does vary. It can vary with location. But another angle on this, um, I think sometimes it's value privilege is a, t- a concept I've pushed back on, but I've started to really, really think about, uh, even if I don't always do the best stuff I am thinking about it. But I think this is a place where it's Im- important to distinguish or contrast privilege and power. And they're certainly very related, but they are slightly different in some ways. So power, I think you could see as sometimes just be like a status differential that may not be with regard to your gender, sex, ethnicity, whatever. Whereas, whereas privilege is something where you don't even realize what you get away with and you feel like you're entitled to that. And they're very, again, they're very related. There might even be like a 90% overlap in a Venn diagram, but I'll give you an example. Okay, one example of power differential is like one person really wants a meeting to happen and the other person either doesn't care that that meeting happens or perhaps really would just assume that meeting didn't happen. So that's it starts with the power differential. As in many relationships, there's one person who maybe cares about it a lot more than the other person, right? So in that instance, somebody might say, look, uh, how can we put this? Let's say, let's say I really want, I really want to talk to you about some advice about this internship, or, you know, I want you to read my scripts or whatever it is to somebody in a position of higher power, somebody of higher status, who probably is also in a position of higher privilege. Okay. So it starts with the person in a position of power being a, being the one who's in a position to say whether it happens at all. So if it is going to happen now, they're really in the driver's seat in the terms of how when, where, the conditions under which that happens. So I think the power part can be, well, look, yeah, okay, well, you can come out to my my house outside Fresno on Sunday at 8 a.m. Do you follow where I'm going with this here? So, I mean, to me, the power part is that you can frame, when one, when one has more power, status, pull, whatever you want to call it, they have a lot of let's go to the next one, privilege also in in the sense that they are the ones who get to, it's not a question of who gets to decide the conditions of that meeting. The person in higher power and the person who wants it less or needs it less is the person who gets to call the shots on the features of that. I feel like power is the ability to frame the situation, but then privilege is maybe not even realizing, like you said, I mean, Maybe that maybe that person is leaving from their second job of the day via public transit, and they have a narrow window between leaving that job and needing to pick up their kid from grandma's house. Do you see? Do you see any distinction there? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think about what the distinction because uh, the two 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 rich white guys with similar Ivy League backgrounds and backgrounds of privilege will still see a huge difference in in power differential, even if it doesn't strictly come out of privilege in the usual sense. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to come up with a definition for power that that makes sense with this. Is I kind of get what you're saying, but like there, the, the reason I'm having difficulty is I think there is such a... Th- but you, you hear this phrase a lot, unearned privilege, well, as I mean, opposed to just privilege. Like kind which, of a, which, right, yeah. well, is it? Is it redundant to say unearned redundant, privilege, yeah. right? Uh, because I think the more I'm thinking about it, the more I think it's like privilege earned or not, uh, because say you like started your own business from nothing and made yourself rich, right? Uh, you say, well, I earned that privilege because I worked really hard to get this money. But once you have the money, it is privilege is like 
Privilege is like power over environment, whereas the power as you're describing it is like a thing where you need to have two points or, or multiple parties that there is there is a power dynamic between them. So it's like point to point. Privilege is just like, now that I have all this money, that wealth is a privilege that is like environmental, like the weather. It follows me everywhere. It changes every scenario that I have to do anything with, and that's privilege. And unearned privilege is like you have the privilege and you didn't do anything like privilege of being white, right? You didn't do anything for that, right? Right, right, right. Uh, versus privilege of being rich that maybe you'd work really hard for it, but it's still, is that privilege, still privilege. And that you, don't, uh, you wouldn't call that power. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would call it, I would call that privilege, the way privilege is commonly used, having a lot of money counts as that, which is interesting because a lot of people like to think that the amount of money they have is directly earned and that everything that comes along with it is justified. But in the situation of being late, if you can't afford the four train trips and can only afford the two, you know, yes. the, the fact that you can afford the four and just accept, well, why don't you just take the train and all, you know, take four train trips instead of two? What's the problem? It's like the problem is you are seeing the world through the lens of having financial security. Yeah. Whether you earn that financial security or not, it is privilege that you carry with you that does not, it's not, it doesn't, there's no, there's no particular party involved. Like, well, for Amtrak, I have this and that, you know, but for this, I don't have that. The money is just a blanket privilege, whereas power is like, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. If you're talking to someone who has, very little privilege but in the relationship between you and them they have all the power because they have something you want and they don't really care whether you get it or not suddenly you are at a power disadvantage despite potentially having way more privilege because you're white and have lots of money and live in a nice neighborhood and all these other things that you may or may not have earned but they're more like ambient and environmental Mm -hmm. but in a point-to-point situation the power dynamic is i have something you want so you're going to come to my house on sunday morning at 8 a.m if i ask you to Here's another reason I'm thinking about this. Um, uh, well, personally, I'm, I'm just kind of very gently trying to broaden my understanding of things that, that seem important that I need to learn about. But um, gosh, I wish I could find this specific article. And I can't, if I find it, I'll put it in notes. But perhaps in the wake of the arrests at Starbucks in Philadelphia, two black guys were just sitting around in a Starbucks and the manager called the police on them. The police came and arrested them for basically no reason. And everybody's saying, hey, it's not my fault. But I don't know if this came out of that, but I read this article recently that was basically about how, (laughs) it sounds dumb to say how white people and black people look at the police differently. But the the, the nut of the article was that it is white people who call the police when they have a problem. That A, white people are constantly calling the police when they have a problem with anybody. And how people of color and non-white people just don't call the police about all kinds of stuff. That there are... In a city, for example, a lot of folks are going to work on some kind of a studied de-escalation where nobody would ever think to call the cops, not because, oh, you know, snitches get stitches, but because they know how things can go horribly wrong when the police show up in, let's just say, a black neighborhood. And I, I don't know, I was just, I was really thinking about that, and I was thinking about how I've done that in the past. How I have, we had a neighbor who happened to be black who every time his parents were out of town, they would have these like raging parties right around the time, you know, my infant was trying to get to sleep. And I would, I would go over and try to deescalate and basically sounded like an old man in his slippers. And eventually I called the cops and they'd shut it down. And I, I'm not ashamed of doing that, but I am thinking a lot about that. And I wasn't doing it because the guy was black. I would do it for anybody who was keeping my kid up at night because I have the privilege to do that. Um, so anyway, I was thinking about that. Yesterday morning, when I was telling my wife that I need to find an electrician to do something around the house, and she was like, you know, have you checked out Nextdoor? And um, 
and I, 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 I found myself saying that, you know, I've, I've made lots of jokes about Nextdoor in the past and how they are casually or formally racist in a lot of the posts that basically so much of Nextdoor is about the fear of other. But like I, something really occurred to me as I continued to check in on Nextdoor over the last few weeks, and that's how often anytime a crime happens or anytime a suspected crime happens, no, anytime you see a suspicious person or something you don't understand, the advice from four or five people in that thread will be, did you contact the police about this? It's very important you contact the police about this. And at some point in the last week or so, my head kind of cracked open and I went, whoa, I, I just tied those two things together. And like, I realized how if it, it doesn't take such a different, it doesn't take such a readjusting of your lens to go, this is really kind of a, a systematic, it feels like what starts as this tickle about other turns into about the systematic way about how to get the receipts on people eventually. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go on next door. I'm not going to go. I will still make fun of next door, but like, I don't feel comfortable looking at this site now that I'm kind of making that connection and realizing that this humming baseline fear of other is has become very tied into this idea of like citizen pseudo cops making sure that the police are aware of anybody in the neighborhood get reporting on anybody in the neighborhoods who seems like an other that was a kind of a ramble but that's that's what got me thinking about this and that's got me just thinking more about like it's funny because punctuality it seems like this is what makes a privilege rather than just politeness is that politeness is making everybody else feel at ease, right? At the heart of it was, if we ever talk about politeness and etiquette, how we teach it, how we practice it, I mean, I think any sensible person will say that manners and politeness are a way of easing social intercourse and of putting everybody at ease by knowing what the basic rules of the game are. This is the lobster fork. This is when you open the door. Let's not be awkward together. So that was kind of a shambling uh, response, but... That's just what I've been thinking about. I've just been thinking about like trying to notice more cases where like I've been part of unnecessarily part of this problem where I thought I was doing what I uh, should do or what I'm expected to do when actually I might be contributing to a fairly ugly system. Yeah, but you're contributing in, in a way that's not not really it's not really on you. Like so with with the police thing specifically, the root problem here is the police. <laughs> the police are the problem, right? Yeah. Uh, now, uh, is, what can you do to fix the police? Like, because by, by saying, well, I know that if I call the police, they might uh, randomly kill a black person, right? What, or at the very least, like, make them lay on the ground in front of their kids. <laughs> right. Or just do just do something terrible, right? Yeah. Something, you something humiliating you know, just because that's, that's SOP say, for a lot of cops. Right. So you so, and regardless of what the odds that are, we know it's a thing that happens and we know it happens much more to like much more likely to certain kinds of people than other kinds of people. So we know that's the fact. So in some degree, you had to have some responsibility to be aware that that's a thing and not just be like, oh, I'm just going to pretend I'm just going to be colorblind and pretend the police don't do that because they do. We know they do. And now it's on us to to be aware of that and act accordingly. But the root problem is that the police are like that. Right. And so. I, I feel like the solution to this is not for all privileged white people to stop calling the police. The solution to this is for everyone, especially those with the most privilege and power, to work to make the police better. Right? If you if you <laughs> if you want peace, work for justice. Right? That's that's incumbent upon all of us to do that. Because I don't accept that this is the way the police have to be. 
the police are supposed to help people. The police are not supposed to, you know, be this incredible time bomb waiting to go off in the face of anybody who doesn't look like them or not just doesn't look like them, who doesn't look like, I mean, I have such a B in my about police, which I don't like to talk about because people who have police and their family say, well, my yeah. family members aren't like that. And and it may be one of the situations where most of the individuals are perfectly good, but it's the institution itself that's bad. And the thing, I don't... You'd have to swim pretty hard upstream to fight this deeper problem. Yeah, and like, I don't, I don't find, I don't usually dwell on like problems of the world in a, in a sort of a, a spiral fashion, uh, in, in the way that some people do about everything that, that is happening, right? Mm-hmm. But in this one thing, I've, for the past couple of decades, I've been spiraling on a little bit, I find myself doing, and it's, uh, I, I always keep trying to come up with a way to frame this to make other people understand how frustrating uh, I find it. And I like, it's one of those situations where I feel like every analogy is inappropriate because you should just be able to describe the thing. The thing itself should be the analogy. Yeah, but people are uh, so close to it. There's there's no distance from it, and it's, it's right, hard so, to talk about. And, and the problem, also the problem is that I realized, you know, when I come, try to come up with an analogy, all of them have some sort of problem. So the, the analogy I, I tend to think about a lot is if you are working as a cashier in a store with a whole line of other cashiers, and you see that the cashier next to you is pocketing some money, Right. And at the end of the day, they like lie on the count to make everything add up or whatever, like they're whatever they're doing, they're skimming, right? You realize that they are, they're doing the exact thing you don't want a cashier to do, which is taking some money for themselves and just shoving it in their pocket and lying about it and making it seem like everything's good, right? Mm-hmm. And you ask, hopefully anybody, but sometimes you have to use a child in the example to make people not think, if you are a fellow cashier at the store, what should you do? Should you report this person to your boss? And I know this is one of those questions they ask you if you're a cashier. And I know this is one of those questions they ask you on like psychological tests. And I fear that a lot of adults would say, it's not your business. Don't say anything. Right. But I, I hope and dream that everyone really understands in their heart of heart that the right thing to do is to tell whoever, hey, this person is stealing. Because if you don't tell, you're implicit in that crime. And, and this is the difficulty. I, 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 yeah. I, I don't want to use that analogy because I think people will argue with me about it. This is supposed to be the gimme. This is supposed to be like, and now compare to, but I feel like we would just get bogged down this. They would say, you shouldn't report that person. It's not your place to report that person. You don't own the business. And I'm like, how, how have we lost our way here? Like is stealing wrong or is it not wrong? Well, it doesn't, it's, it's so inadequate against something like, well, everybody knows that this one guy rolls people a few times a week and takes whatever money they have in their pocket. And that everybody kind of knows, even if they've never seen it directly, everybody kind of knows that's a thing this guy does. Right. And so the police analogy, like you said, is uh, if you are on the police force and you see someone kill someone in cold blood right in front of you, just execute them, shoot them in the head and then like plant a gun on them and lie about it. What should you do as a police officer? And I would hope that everybody would say the right thing to do at a police officer is say, hey, I just saw this person murder somebody like it's such a gimme. Like, I'm not saying would you do it or what are the, what are the things that you'd weigh? But just just what is the right thing to do in the abstract? And my frustration. If, if, that, with, happened, if any, that happened with any citizen, what would you say? You'd say, "Oh my God, call the police!" <laughs> right? Right. Like if you knew somebody murdered somebody, you'd say the police need to know about that. If it was another cop that did it. And and the thing is, the impression from the outside of the police is that the the brotherhood and loyalty within the police is so strong that there is literally nothing that a fellow police officer could do where the expectation is not that all his fellow police officers will stay quiet about it. Keep it in the family. Don't say anything about it. Um, What is the right thing to do? The right thing to do is shut your mouth. It's not your problem. 
And that is a completely broken and corrupt organization. If if you if if no matter how good a person you are, if the understanding is, yeah, he killed someone in cold blood right in front of you, and there's no excuse, but you can't say anything about it. You can't testify against him. You can't report him. You can't do anything. The right thing to do is just say nothing. That the entire organization enforces that forcibly, that if you were to report them and that person was to go to jail, you would be forcibly retired and punished by the organization and kicked out and put on crap jobs until you quit and lost your pension, right? That that's how the police function. That the loyal it's loyalty out of control. That all that matters is wow. loyalty. And what doesn't matter is that the right thing to do has been completely lost, Right. And I don't know if that's the case. I'm not a police officer. And you can say, well, there's internal affairs. There's a whole department that's supposed to deal with that, right? And you've been watching too much TV, and most police officers are good. And of course they would report a cop that did that, right? Mm -hmm. But every story I hear from police officers who I'm related to or know by acquaintance, and of course all the news stories that you hear, all the horror stories about, that that, they're really, that pressure really does exist. That maybe not if they murder someone in cold blood for you, but minor stuff. I planted drug on this guy, but he's a drug dealer anyway, right? It's, it's, it's a gray area. Is it right? Is it wrong? Look, everybody knows he's a drug dealer. If I plant drugs on him, that's not technically wrong because it's we all agree that he's a drug dealer. So we're just trying to get a, you know, get a conviction or whatever, like all that type of stuff all the way up to and including, you know, uh, uh, stop resisting arrest yelling stop resisting arrest while you punch people into the head in the head and take a 12 year old girl in a bathing suit and slam her down on the pavement or like accidentally shoot somebody and make it seem like you feared for your life like or or like max has pointed out and i, don't, I haven't read the case law on this but the whole thing of like before you go out to go to the car you make sure you say into your body cam that you feel you feel threatened by this person and that buys you some kind of absolution because nothing's worse than a than a scared cop in court like you you get a you get a hall pass on that and, and this is all to say that, like, that it is the institution at fault, because all the good people who are thrown into the jaws of this institution are, A, powerless to change the institution, and B, faced with this choice of do the right thing and destroy your family, life, career, and income, or don't do the right thing and, you know, maintain the status quo. And that that is an organization that is unhealthy, that is, that is dysfunctional, that is not fulfilling its function. And almost no matter how many good people you throw into the organization, if the way to get to a position of power is to get get along, you know, what is it, go along to get along or whatever, yeah, yeah. if that's the only way you ever gain power, no one will ever have enough power to fix the institution. And so therefore, it is like, it's a trap for good people. Like, that, I'm not saying good people shouldn't be police officers as far as they could, but I would would not want a good, people, good person to go into the situation because it's like how much of their soul do they need to mortgage to make any progress in their career and how satisfied will they be and how much will they just come to accept as the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I talked to my grandfather, who was a New York City cop, who telling you how they would bring in people and just beat them until they would admit to whatever they wanted them to admit to, because that's the way police work was done in you know the 1940s or whatever, right? You would think, well, we're far from that now, but it, it just changes to become more subtle. But but that's like, it's, you become, when my grandfather would describe these things, it, would, it was just the way things were done. And he's, he's not defending and saying it's right or wrong. It's just the way things were done. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like when there are institutions like that that don't function correctly, that getting back to your idea of like, oh, I, I shouldn't be calling them. It's like we should all collectively be doing something to fix that problem. So mm-hmm. this is like a Band-Aid or like working around a problem. But even if everybody did like you did and say, I acknowledge the state of the police and therefore will not employ them in a situation where they could where they could do something terrible. 
that's not the solution. That is merely minimizing damage while hopefully we all come up collectively with some kind of solution. And it's not like we don't, it's not like it's not possible. I believe policing in much of the rest of the civilized world is not as messed up, militarized, and, you know, just dysfunctional as it is in our country. So I feel like it is a thing that can be fixed. And ultimately privileged. Yeah, it it is a thing that can be fixed. All the rules that we're enforcing... I mean, I live fairly near a police station. It's not unusual at all to see like personal cars <laughs> parked in the handicapped spot, the same personal cars over and over. You just see all this stuff. You see like when you're around it a lot, you see it a lot. And it's there's just so much just baseline, like sloppy privilege going on. Yeah. And, and the worst thing about it is that like some amount of like special rules for people in special roles does apply and make sense. And, you know, to, to go on the other side of this, the same kind of thing happened with unions back when they actually had any power. Like, that if you you give a little bit and say, like, uh, people who are risking their lives for the public good deserve some advantages for for what they're putting on the line. Yeah, comp- compensation. Right. Uh, whether it's monetary or benefits or affording them respect, right? Like, all, all many things you deserve for doing a thing where the potential for you getting killed is way higher than if you are a cashier. Because that's your job, protect and serve, right? So there absolutely is privileges that should go along with that, up to and including, I think, respect, right? Mm -hmm. It comes as part of the position, right? Same thing with unions, that you are fighting for the workers and collectively you are organizing and you are counterbalanced to corporate culture, right? Uh, and there are certain thi- certain powers that are afforded to, to a union as a collective and to the people who head the unions. But in any situation where there's power, that can go to an extreme where you feel like the only proper path is unlimited power, unlimited respect, no accountability, uh, you know, uh, no uh, amount, uh, no benefits and pay is uh, enough we will accidentally kill the host by demanding, you know, incredible pay and benefits uh, outside the realm of competition. And our only, you know, this is a fantastical scenario that no one who's not 50 years old will even remember. But there was a time that unions actually had some power in America. I know <laughs> it's probably a bad example because it sounds so far fetched. But uh, I didn't want to just go entirely with the with the police or military type thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in that respect, I think the military does so much better than the police. Uh, for the most part in this particular area and that I feel like in the military, if you saw a bunch of people in your, you know, combat group kill a bunch of civilians, you would understand that the right thing to do is report it. And if you did report it, there is a possibility that some action would be taken on it. It's mm-hmm. not, you, you know, like I know all sorts of atrocities happen and especially within ranks with the whole sexual assault and rape and everything was a whole other aspect that I'm not even addressing here because we're so privileged that we don't have to constantly think about that. But when the military is in a better situation in terms of a moral compass and possibility of the right thing potentially taking place than my perception of the police. Either I, there's a big perception problem for the police or there's a big actual problem. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not in the military and I'm not in the police either, so I can't say. But either way, I would hope that anyone listening to this who thinks that I'm 100% wrong about both the police and the military would understand that at the very least there's a perception problem here like if not an actual problem and where does the perception problem come from you know like is, is it just a bunch of bad incidents and actually all police are really great and uh they will report on each other if they do something wrong in a moment's notice or is that not the case i'm i don't know but you know if you can be on time try to be on time mm-hmm.
This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Make your next move with Squarespace because Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, a blog. You can even have a, have a podcast if you want. You can do that. Whatever you want to make, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do what you want to do. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades are ever needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. All those award-winning templates, they're just beautifully designed. They let you show off your great ideas. I've been a fan and a user and an advocate of Squarespace for a long time. They've been good to me. Uh, they make my life so much easier. I use Squarespace for my um, MerlinM.com uh, meetup site. I update people on the Ungainly X-Man meetup. I use it for my personal site. And I also use it for the Roderick on the Line podcast, where we even host our uh, audio files all on Squarespace. It's the best. Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month. But you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash diffs. And when you decide to sign up, please do use the very special offer code diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. That'll get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And uh, yeah, it'll show your support for reconcilable differences. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash diffs. Offer code diffs for 10% off your first purchase purchase our thanks to squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of relay fm squarespace make your next move make your next website i think we have some follow-up just in time right on schedule jit kanban um last week uh, last episode two weeks ago The last time an episode was recorded that you heard in your ear holes, uh, we ended up with a discussion of me. I brought up the topic of favorite Simpsons lines because we had talked about an episode of The Incomparable that had been recorded where you and a bunch of your colleagues from The Incomparable did a really fun episode where it was like, it was, it was a draft, right? It was. Kind of a draft where everybody went through and talked about their favorite lines from The Simpsons. And I had heard that episode, dot, 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 dot more in a second. And, uh, and I was telling you what my favorite Simpsons lines were, and we had a, had a nice larf talking about that. <laughs> Those sandal-wearing goldfish tenders? Um, <laughs> Bosh, Flimshaw. Uh, so we talked about that, and what I, I, don't, I guess I, I don't know if I even said this. I, I, I said that it was... An episode of The Incomparable, did I mention that it was in the member feed? I mentioned that it wasn't out yet, I think. Correct? Yeah, that's a lot of questions we've been getting. Hey, you talked about the Simpsons episode. Where can I hear it? Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge I probably was not being clear, and I want to be clear. Um, There's all kinds of complexity to this that I didn't realize. Well, first of all, what you need to know right now is that you can get access to the member feed of, uh, we're not affiliated with The Incomparable. Yes, we are affiliated. Yes, we're heavily affiliated with The Incomparable, but this show is not on The Incomparable. You should have called in last week if you want to talk about elderly pets. The Incomparable is a wonderful um, series of podcasts. John's on a bunch of them. I've been on some of them. Jason Snell's uh, wonderful uh, flagship uh, dirigible network. If you become a member of The Incomparable, you get access to a member feed where you will frequently get, how would you describe it? You get uh, a lot of times uh, folks who record shows on The Incomparable especially Jason is great about this, will record, will upload the raw, unedited, 
unbalanced, just raw recording, like we, sometimes within minutes of it being finished. So if you're a super fan like I am, uh, especially of certain shows, I will go and listen. Uh, Joe Steele is real good. Joe Steele and Dan Sturm are really good about putting up defocused episodes. Um, when you belong to that member feed, you get to hear stuff basically right after it was recorded. Um, and then it will eventually come out on the public incomparable feed later. What I didn't know and couldn't know, I guess, I, maybe I wasn't listening carefully enough. What I didn't know was that that particular episode, the Simpsons' favorite Simpsons line episode, is what I, I'm going to call an in-the-pocket episode. Knowing that when summer comes, it's very helpful uh, to have episodes pre-recorded because people take vacations. Summer is a crap show. It's the worst. It's hard to schedule anything. What I didn't know was that uh, that episode will, will not, may not, probably won't be coming out publicly I think probably until summertime. Is that right? Yep. I think you're right about that. It's uh, what Jason calls. He, he's banking it. Bank, bank he's that a banker. Episode. He banks. But so what I need you to know is, and I'm going to say this because I, uh, I, I belong to what? I pay for three. I don't know if I'm a Relay member right now. Um, I pay for Max Fun. Um, I pay for The Incomparable. Uh, I pay for a few of these because I'm a true believer. So what I want to let you know is if you go to theincomparable.com slash members, it's in show notes. You can go and sign up and it's a very modest fee and you get cool stuff, including bonus episodes. And like I said, you get the, uh, is it the first class feed? Is that what it's called? A bootleg feed. Is bootleg the... feed. The bootleg feed. Boot, bootleg. And uh, it's a lot of fun. If you enjoy the Incompar- Incomparable, I recommend supporting them. They do great work. And uh, you got anything else to add? But the point being, you go and you become a member, you get a bespoke private feed, you get to go and listen to all the great shows, including in this case, the Simpsons draft, which is in the feed right now. Or you just wait until the official episode to come out. So the, the, the capsule summary that every replying to everybody on Twitter say, is the Simpsons episode out yet? No, it's not out. But it's not out. Uh, you can listen to the bootleg anytime after it's been recorded. Now, I mostly prefer the edited episodes. Yeah. Because there's a reason editing exists. Hmm. But if you're desperate to hear it right now, 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 that's why the bootleg feed exists, and that's why you could become a member. Uh, and you can hear all the stuff that eventually gets cut from the show. You get to hear so much extra bonus Steve. Unless Steve yeah. doesn't make it into the show. Steve's a very, sometimes, very funny guy. Sometimes there is good stuff in the bootlegs. Like, I think in the bootleg, you can hear Jason cursing without it being bleeped, right? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Or you can hear... I mean, I feel like I feel like a lot of... Um, uh, oh, I'm having a brain fart. Um... Uh, a lot of stuff that a lot of stuff may not make it into the episode. That's just great behind the scenes, you know, shucking and jiving. And so you get a lot of good reference acknowledge type stuff that uh, is too yeah, silly to make it and, into the and, show. And the incomparable doesn't really have after shows like I do on <laughs> have doing shows. podcast or whatever, right? But there is sometimes an after show where after we all know that we're done recording, but we still talk about other stuff, and that's in the bootleg feed too. And if you're somebody who enjoys podcasts, which I hope you are, um, as long as I'm uh, shining Jason Snell's butt for the day, uh, Jason is, an, I think, an extraordinary editor in almost every sense of the word. He is, I mean, in, in all the ways that make podcasts a challenging thing to edit, Jason is very, very good at it. First of all, he is very good at taking, I, I hope you never have to edit a podcast that has six people on it. Because first of all, every person you add to a podcast recording greatly increases the chances that something will go catastrophically wrong with at least one person's track. Plus you get drift. If you look it up, you get all this really, really complex stuff. First of all, Jason takes these multi-track things. I also say he's a great editor. He's not just, he's not just a, a good slicer and dicer. He makes really good decisions. 
uh, about what to leave in and out. And you really appreciate that when you listen to the the raw recordings. You realize like uh, what artfulness he brings to that, I feel like. Because I've been on shows where I'm like, oh, of course, I hate every appearance I've ever made on The Incomparable. I sound totally stupid. It's easily my least distinguished thing I've ever done is every episode of The Incomparable I've been on. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I always, and I want it to be good, but I'm always really impressed with Jason uh, finding a way to make everybody sound good. So thanks to Jason Snow. This is an extended advertisement to become a member of a podcast network that is not the one that hosts the podcast that we're currently recording. John Syracuse, as you sit here today, if people wanted to uh, become members of the Relay.fm network, where, where would they go? I'm not carrying water for any particular podcast. I'm just pointing out how egalitarian. Is that the right word? Thanks, Merlin. Uh, That's a good question. You go to relay.fm slash membership. Relay.fm slash membership. You go in, you join up, you pick all the great shows you want to support, and uh, that supports the network. Or just pick this show. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I picked, uh, for Max Fun, uh, no, no offense to anybody, I picked um, um, a Bim Bam and Flophouse. And I'm getting a Mabim Bam pin. I'm getting a, I'm getting a Mabim Bam pin. <laughs> Speaking of those folks, did you hear, that? you're not in this channel probably, but did you hear, I saw this news today that said, uh, yeah, Polygon Griffin news? and Justin Big leave news. Polygon? Big news, yeah. All right, and so I read that, I'm like, well, I, I know Polygon, sort of. Yeah. I mean... I followed Ben Huchera there because I knew from Ars Technica. Simone, uh, Simone, Simone works there, right? Yep. Uh, She's and, great. Her like videos back, back, are great. Yep. Back when it was founded. Uh, I don't even Does Ben still work there? I'm not sure. But anyway. It used I, to, I, mean, I, I know there. Justin used to work on what was something called Joystick. And then I think that got involved with the thing called Polygon. And it's a video game website, right? Well, Polygon, Polygon was a, a new website, you know, created by people who were like, not outcasts, but sort of like had split off from other higher profile things that so were going to make a new site called Polygon. And it's like, is it going to work or is it not going to work? Because it's hard to make a new platform. And that was several years ago. And I've been reading it on and off, you know, uh, ever since. But if I ever knew, I had long since forgotten or not connected the idea that Griffin and Justin McElroy had anything to do with Polygon. As far as I'm aware, the first that time that I ever heard and noted the name Griffin and Justin McElroy was in association with Mabim Bam. Yeah. Which I've only heard one episode of, but I, I heard know, it advertised. I know, I know, we're not talking which, about it. It upsets me. But I heard me. it advertised incessantly. And it upsets so I said, oh, me. I don't want to talk about this anymore. So you, you upset me. Polygon. I'm like, leaving Polygon? Why were they working at Polygon? Aren't they podcasters? And no, so now they, it's like, they, re- these guys work like dogs. So I'm kind of rewinding and saying, how, you know, I guess like that was their quote unquote real career. And then the podcasting was just a side thing. And now they're switching it up. But it amazes me that I could be aware of Polygon and have read tons of it, but never connected them in that name. Even if I had seen the names, I'd be like, oh, that's funny. Their last name is McElroy. Right. But I wouldn't have actually connected them. But because it was about Justin and Griffin, and now I know enough about them to know that those are the two names. What are the odds that there's two people named Justin and Griffin and their last name is also McElroy? They're good, good boys. Yeah. How, how, what are the odds of that? I'm like, those must be the same people. And I don't know what they look like. So seeing their pictures was oh my help, God, helping John. me at all. Do you know how upsetting uh, this is to me? I don't know. I know. According anyway. to the masthead, uh, which I just added to show notes, um, Griffin McElroy is the senior vid- video producer. And uh, Justin McElroy, uh, the oldest brother, is the uh, an editor at large. Yeah, I think they like co-founded the site or something. But anyway, I think it's Justin, weird Justin was like a co-founder, I think. To see those two worlds like be connected together. Like one world that I knew, uh, that, that I knew at least uh, some amount and, and participated in and this other world that I'm recently learning about the podcast side and realized, oh, those are the same people. That's the same person. They were over there, but they're also over here. 
and but I, this is this is so mind blowing to me because I thought I thought Polygon was a really big deal in video games. It is, and I know about Polygon, but I, just, I don't so watch much of their video content. And like I said, I followed the reason I know about Polygon is because I essentially followed Ben there from ben, from Ars Technica, Ben Kucherov, Ars Technica to Penny Arcade to uh, Polygon. All right. So, do you watch Monster Factory? No, I don't watch most of their video. I watch Simone's videos. Those are the only ones I watch. Just Simone's because are very, I, very yeah. funny, and she is good. Do, have you have you ever watched any Monster Factory? No, I don't even know what that is. Okay, I'm gonna give you. I homework. mean, I know it's their thing because I saw it in the article. All right, all right, all right, all right. Like, right. I'm giving you. I'm giving you homework. Um, you, I have some show notes. I want you to watch Monster Factory Fallout Four Episode One. Seems like a lot of work. I mean, I don't watch much uh, video stuff. That's why I'm not really aware. The only reason I'm watching Simone things is because they've been linked to people I know, uh, and because they're going to find a way to take this utterly joyful thing that makes me and my daughter so happy, and you're going to find a way to be a total karma suck about it. No, for each it, just you are. You're gonna, you if, do that. Here's what I, happens. If I don't oh like God. it, that doesn't mean you can st- have to stop no, liking it. No, you need it. to like this. You need to like things I like. You need to like <laughs> this. So sure what they I do, do? Oh my God, just. So Griffin uh, mainly drives while Justin is like in on the call. But basically, they go in and <laughs> they go in and they work those sticks. <laughs> <laughs> to make the most outrageous characters that they can in the character creator. And then they play the game. And I think I've asked you about this. I, I don't know what you call it. Is it called QA codes or cheat codes? Frequently, Griffin knows the codes to like, you know, kill them all. The KA or whatever, like kill everybody in the scene, do this thing, drop all of these toaster pastries from the sky. He knows how to do everything to completely break these games. And it's really, really funny. I don't even, when I told Alex how much I love this show, she said, I don't understand. If you don't play video games, I don't know how you can like this. But if, if, if you can't get with Mbim Bam, which breaks my heart, at least give Monster Factory a try. You'll probably hate it, but just at least look at it. It's not that no, I can't it's not get your sense of humor. Bam, I don't know why I, I bother. No, I, fa- I found it funny. It's just I don't, I don't, if I have to, it's like prioritization. If I have to find room in my podcasting <sighs> schedule for this, like it ranks below a bunch of other shows that I would rather listen to. Define like, I don't meat. listen to a lot of comedy, period. Like Flophouse is my only comedy podcast that I listen to regular basis. joyless. Why can't you? You're, you're like you're like Chili. The Alpha could not love. So that I don't laugh. I laugh when I listen to Roderick on the line. It's not a comedy podcast, but I do laugh you? when I listen to it. Yeah, I do. Do you ever laugh at what I say? Sure. Right. One time. It's not, you don't mute that. Yeah, 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 good, the one I just the one you just got me with, which is probably like as with many things that you do. I'm not going to say idiot savant, but many times you don't know how funny it is until after you've said it, if if at all. <laughs> okay, uh, what did I do? And this one was oh, I, I got to remember the exact context. It was like Broderick was saying that he was like picking someone up at 4:20, and you said nice, <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> which is kind of a McElroy joke too. Yeah. Yeah. I laughed out loud on the car at that. Most <laughs> half laughing at the at the joke and half Johnson, laughing at the thing is I get away with so much because I am totally the like I am like flavor flav on an electric skateboard on that show. He's not listening to what I'm saying. I'm moving very, very quickly. Sometimes He's... he'll have the the follow-up like the hand grenade <laughs> laugh. Well he'll realize how dumb it was to say nice on 420. And he'll get the second level joke later and he'll go, ha, I'll do one of his loud router claps like like two seconds later. But I've sometimes like you're right, six, he just... I got like six of those ever. But sometimes he just keeps rolling. Most of the time he just keeps rolling, which is yeah. part of the fun. So yes, I do laugh out. But that's not a comedy podcast, right? I mean, you spend you spend two hours talking about your daughters who's stealing a it's, bunch uh, of our topics. It's culture, culture and society. I think technically it's, oh, we made it a philosophy. After one episode, we decided it was a philosophy podcast. Yeah, why not? Philosophy, sure. You get to pick whatever you want. They don't, nobody stops you. It's not, like, it's not like Bob Podcast comes and says, stop doing that. That's right. They don't even uh, make you put the explicit tag on. I should do that. You, But you should, you should go see the final Pam and, and Trash Hulk. 
That's all. That's all I'm saying. It's, it, this is only like the first one's only 33 minutes long. You got time for that? Yeah, I'll take a look. I mean, yeah, the, you're not gonna the like kind it. Of, kind of game videos I want would bore you out of your skull. I know. It's not, it's, it's like not it's how to make like how to how to when they do the drop you want your vorpal blade to, to get yeah, blessed yeah, by your knight. Yeah, hundred percent. show me the math on the statistics on the new change to this game. That yeah, let me know where's the drop site. So what's the guy's name? Robert Robert Destiny comes and you once yeah, a month that's... he comes. He sets up a his a pop up. <laughs> you don't know enough about this topic. He does. To make he good does. Jokes, once a month trying. you got to find out from the map site where the drop mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. and then Robert Destiny shows up and he does. If he you does could a remember, if you could remember better what the real thing is, you could make a much better joke about Robert Destiny. Yeah, but why would I? want to do that he yeah, might know how just, to curse a sword remember. you don't what? have the background it's fine i don't have the background i don't even know how to make fun of you right that's right <laughs> you don't you need to have you need to have a li- just a little bit more information not much no. just a little i understand oh, i understand oh, you want to get all I, the I, speaking you got of a that. vault full of weapons that have been blessed and you get a special you get a special nightgown to wear you get to pick what color your nightgown is and then you want to get a vorpal blade when robert destiny comes to a certain pop-up it's like a taco thing but it's full of blessed weapons and you go there and you've got all of those and you've already leveled up all of your tacos you've got something else mixed in there i'm not sure what it is i was thinking about having enough knowledge to make good jokes by the way also listening to the same roderick which i happen to be listening to today where uh that's a good episode one one of you i guess i'm one behind because this is or maybe yeah i think i might still be you're on you're on me fretting about solo dadding yeah, or maybe I'm into the second one by now. But anyway, one of you made the obvious joke that uh, uh, we go and make about uh, leaving the chair open for Elijah and why yeah, is this different than mm-hmm. every other night? You both tag teamed on it, right? Mm-hmm. Which I feel like for actual Jewish people or people who actually know something about Judaism yeah. is like the most obvious joke to make because it's like the only thing we know to make jokes about. It's deeper knowledge than someone who knew nothing about Judaism could make. But not much deeper. You say you say my Judaism jokes should go deeper. Well, I'm saying if we, I don't know how they can go deeper because I don't know enough about where it. Where do I go? If we, to go if to we knew just like that, whatever John, that, where, do, where do I go for that? Like what? I don't uh, you know a rabbinical school. I don't know. But like, if we school? could just go one level deeper to get like mm-hmm. the deeper thing that you would only know if you grew up Jewish. Yes. Right. Like yes. The, like this, that's the thing with the humor. Like when they make the joke that connects with something that you know that only that person would know if they grew up Irish Catholic or something, and you grew mm-hmm. up Irish Catholic, and it's like one or two levels down from the obvious thing. That's kind of how the leaving the 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 seat empty for Elijah and how is this night different from all the nights that started out as a thing that only Jewish people knew, but through the power of stand-up comedy, I feel like has moved, has moved into the public consciousness to the point where now it's the, like the $200 jeopardy question of comedy. Right? <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We had, we had a guest on Dubai Friday uh, last week. And the first thing he said to me uh, when he learned my name is he, he, he asked me if I was a wizard. You know what I said? <laughs> That's what I said. That, that's like oh, that hurts me. It hurts they, should me. That, they should put that on a soundboard as your uh, <laughs> condescending laugh. That's funny. That's funny. That's very humorous. The thing you said. I never mm-hmm. w- wizard. <laughs> I, speak, I never thought of that. Speaking before. of that, my think, name is like the wizard's name. That's funny. So, so I was visiting with my family this past week, and I think one member of my family asked me something that I'm pretty sure I've been asked before by the same person, or at least in the same person's company, mm-hmm. which is I'm. Um, the other, you know, level zero thing uh, related to what you just talked about is that is that his real name? That's what John? they asked me about you, Marlon. Is oh. it, they said, is, "Is that his real name?" Who? Who asked that? Don't say my a sister, name. Just give me a relationship. My sister asked it. Your and sister I'm knows pretty, that I exist. I'm. Pre- she listens to the podcast. Oh my god! And, I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm sorry, Susan. That's the wrong wrong sister. No, isn't that her name? Isn't your sister's name Susan? That's, that's John's sister. <laughs> 
No. The other John. Yeah, I know John Roderick. I, I thought all, thought all Johns had a sister named oh, Susan. Yeah, all Johns had a sister named Susan. Who, okay, uh, let me try again. Let me try again. <clears throat> Sorry, Karen. Ke- Sorry. Hang on. Hang on. You can't Sorry, pronounce Karen. that name, so forget about that one. Brenda? No. You're Dolores. never going to get it. It's a weird Is it name. Dolores? No. That's good, though. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Is it uh, Elijah? Is it, no, wait, Ruth? Well, hang on. Elijah's I can do Elijah's not a girl's Ruth? name. Is it Ezra? No. Micah? No. Uh, well, I can anyway, do this. She asked, and I'm pretty sure that either she asked that already, or my mother asked that already. And I feel like that is the 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 real obvious, like not asking you to your face, but asking someone else because they want to know. Is that yeah. his real name? Of course, it's a fake name. <laughs> Who would have a name like this? That's ridiculous. Right. I told it's you a you stage. Were a th- I told name. you you were a third. Oh yeah. So not only my... is that a real name. Uh, yeah, vaudeville. so nice they named it thrice. <laughs> <laughs> You are literally the worst. Okay. Uh, anyway, 58, that's the type of uh, zero level uh, Merlin questions. All right, I'll try and I'll try and smarten up my jokes. Um, no, th- I, like I'm. I think we collectively need better Judaism jokes, mm-hmm. <laughs> like as a society. <laughs> Is it right to buy yeah. Christ? Does, offend, does it offend you as a Jew? No, it offends me as a comedian. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. I mean, not that that was a bad. It was perfect. It was no. perfectly fine. But I'm thank just, you. But when thank I when you. I heard you both do that, because I knew like where. But hey, you know, you're not going. giving him credit. He did a fast pivot. Because if memory serves, because this is a podcast where I talk about the other podcasts where I talk about podcasts. Mm-hmm. What right. I think what I said was that you know it's different, and then he quickly pivoted to how is this night different? Mm-hmm. Which I think is that is that a Passover thing? Yeah, that's usually your role to be fast, and he's the slow. He's the slow. He's got the inertia. He's like a train going down the oh. tracks. He built up a head of steam. Now, if he had an are. enchanted nightgown, would he be able to move faster? Would that? Would he get extra extra dexterity points for that? Would he level up, as you say? You're going a little D&D, which is where you do have some knowledge, but you're no, going farther, not farther afield from the video game that I play. Not enough. We are, uh, we're, we are because of another McElroy Brothers podcast, uh, we, are, we are toying with D&D right now. Who's we? You know. The family? Well, you know, little one. All right, we got that's some twenty-sided I mean, dice. Well, so uh, that's the question. That's so you, you and your daughter, right? Yeah. Uh, how does your wife feel about the D and D? Oh, she's actually potentially into it. I mean, I'm. Hmm. The thing is, it's it's one thing to listen to people who know what they're doing. I mean, and what I'm not going to say to them is that it's a lot harder than it looks, and it's a lot of work, and it's not really that fun, and it's a lot of rolling dice. But yeah. um, but I you agree, know what's funny but... is it did. I, I mentioned this in another. I uh, think with Roderick, but like it's it's brought me back when I was looking up D and D videos on YouTube. It is funny to see all the panics. So like you can find some like really crappy dubs from VHS of <laughs> panicky re- reporting about D and D from the eighties. That is so freaking funny. It's so straight faced. People are so serious about their grave concern that this is some kind of a demonic influence. It's really. It, it was really a wild time. I remember it. It's hard to. It's hard to convey to people how how seriously that was taken that and the heavy metal and the whole it seems so it seems so silly it seems ridiculous but this is a point where i really feel like i always want to give my mom a lot of credit uh she was i think i think she was really cool and very wise about this because you know she's a very conservative person and a very christian person and she was like meh you know you're 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 spending time with people and you're reading like that sounds good to me and i was like wow that's pretty cool it's dice so it makes it gambling it's well, I had friends who weren't allowed to play video games because they thought it was gambling. Yeah. You certainly you should, couldn't go you to should tell them how, uh, how uh, you know, computers are deterministic. They'd be like, but what, but what about the quantum I state told them, inside transistors? I, sh- I know. I should have told them that. I should have told them about the, yeah. the determinism.
This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs. And please do use the offer code diffs at checkout. That'll get you $50 toward a select mattress. Ah, Casper, they are the company that is focused on sleep and they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend one third of your life sleeping. If you spend a third of your life doing uh, anything, you'd want to make sure it's the very best it can be. And that's why you need Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. So you ask yourself, what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? I'll tell you. They combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. I myself sleep on a Casper. I'm a huge fan. Uh, just uh, even last night, uh, the, the garbage man came, and uh, he was outside at 2.30 in the morning uh, banging the cans around like an animal. You know, and so, so I says to myself, I say, you know what? Let go and let God and just get into the sink and the bounce of the Casper. And I did. I let go and I let God. I don't get to the universe. I wish the trash man would come a little bit later. It doesn't seem like it's really necessary to come at 2.30 in the morning, but you know, what are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? Can't get hung up on that. Casper mattress. Now, right now you can get $50 toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash diffs and using the offer code diffs at checkout. That's D-I-F-F-S. Terms and conditions apply. Casper.com slash diffs. Very special offer code DIFFS. Our thanks to Casper for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Well, um, at uh, an hour in, uh, where do you want to take it? We got, you know what? We had a great, when we recorded, however many weeks ago, that came out two or three weeks ago, depending on whether you're right now or in the future. Uh, we had a good episode of follow-up. I think we've got some good mini topics to follow-up or mini topic-ish things this week. Yeah, I think we can knock out these first three mini topics and we'll have a show. Oh, God bless you. I should take my sleeping pill now. What time is it? 7.30? Okay. Um, John, John, you broke some news to me this week that I was very, very sorry to hear. Uh, I heard you got, you got a prodigal bird. So that's the question. <laughs> is it the same bird? That's my very same thought. Is, is every bird, is every bird this bird? <laughs> Do you ever like stand you the same bird twice? People know each other. Is it, yeah. are you, bur- are you a bird? I know you're a dog racist. Do you think you're also a woodpecker racist? <laughs> Do you think all woodpeckers are the same? John, John, tell us what happened. You had a problem, what, over a year ago, probably, where you probably, had a wood- I'm going to guess that maybe it was exactly a year ago. Um, seasonal. Yeah. But you had a woodpecker that had turned your house into what you described as a large drum. And you went through some of the overtures you had to do with trying to get rid of the woodpecker. It was an ongoing concern for something like three, four weeks. And then eventually it left of its own accord and there was no more woodpecker. And now what happened? Yeah. And, and, and to be clear, what the woodpecker is doing is going on top of the metal hood that is over the chimney on my <laughs> the, house. The, literally the worst place that it could go in and, order to make a noise. And doing what a woodpecker does, which is peck onto the metal. It's, it's like, imagine my entire house is a steel drum. And it, it's, a, it's pretty amazing because from the outside, it sounds like a woodpecker panging its beak against a piece of metal. You would it sound like. But from the inside, something about like the the you know 
brick the, like in the re- chimney and the of residence it. of the whole yeah. house. It sounds like it sounds like I don't know, like a bass drum or like a, a very distant machine gun or a thrumming engine. Very bassy. <laughs> kind of like that. And surprisingly loud, because again, there's the whole house is amplifying it. Because your chimney, your chimney is acting as maybe not a megaphone, but yeah, kind of like a megaphone, right? It's it's amplifying that and making it extra boomy, and that's probably going to make your house vibrate. Yeah, or or like the body of a drum or whatever. And it just amazes me that that it changes. Like for a long time, I would never have connected it to the fact that there's a bird on metal, because I would think like, is that is it like a truck downshifting, or is someone jackhammering in the distance? Or is it like someone turning a very rusty screw? And it would happen once, and and you'd be like, what is that? And then you'd be like, oh, probably nothing. But then you'd hear it like three minutes later, and you'd be like, that, that, what is that? And it took us so long to figure out there was a bird. Eventually I did. I I, I got a picture of it, and it was a woodpecker, and it was doing this. And then it was the whole big thing of like, how do I get this woodpecker away from my house? And we have a whole episode about that, which I don't remember the episode number for, but maybe we'll look up and put in the show notes. And so, like, that was that, and it did go away somehow. I did try a couple of things, but nothing seemed to do anything, and eventually went away. And I'd forgotten all about it until, like, spring has sprung. I'm here near Boston, and I'm sitting in the same room that I'm sitting in now, and all of a sudden I hear that unmistakable sound again. And I immediately dash outside to try to catch a glimpse of the thing. And I'm like, maybe maybe it flew away. I don't see it. It went all around all sides of the house. Because it's high up there. It's a two-story house. The chimney's up high. I'm looking around. I can't see it. I can't see anything. And then I hear it again. I'm like, it's found a place to do it where I can't even see it. Like, it's in dead center of the top of the chimney. And no matter oh, what God. angle I get from it, the ground, I can't even see the bird anymore. But it's there. Oh, no. Oh, that must be maddening. So even all of my, my, you know, fantasies of a pellet gun or a wrist rocket, all these other things, I can't even see it anymore. Do I have to get a ladder out and shoot away? I'm going to fall off the roof and kill myself and the bird will have won. <laughs> so, but yeah, here's what I have in my favor this time. Now I know, like so many things in life, this too will pass. Like, right. even if I do nothing, at some point the bird goes away. It, it's, maybe it's like spring break. Right. So if, if the first time that the kids come to town, you're like, oh, my God, is this going to last forever? You realize it ends in seven or 10 days. Maybe this is spring break for the woodpecker. Yeah, because that's the whole thing. As we talked about, this, the, the woodpecker's just trying to get laid. Like, this is a mating thing. Episode 52 from May 18th, 2017. Episode 52, this bird can't get laid. In this week's accidental main topic, John addresses his new bird enemy and the wily coyote and lynx to which his desperation with living in a drum may drive him. Yeah, so the only remaining concern I have is, all right, I know it will eventually go away no matter what I do. Uh, and so it will end. And it's kind of annoying when it's there. And now that I know what it is, there's a chance of me being able to quickly go outside and throw a rock at it or something or whatever the hell if I think I'm doing. Um, but now I'm wondering, because I can't see it, like, is it damaging my house? Is it going mi- to break through the yeah, hood right, and allow right. rain down my chimney that will eventually rot all the bricks out and cost me a hojillion dollars, which every repair to your house costs? Mm-hmm. And so I'm a little bit concerned about that, uh, but I also don't want to. I think we talked about this. I don't want to go up on my roof. I've been on my roof. You had it's, many it's, ideas that stopped at the point of you getting on a ladder because they all ended with you like going, whoa, whoa, whoa like grabbing a shutter and like falling off your roof. That was so that's what you're looking at hoses, wrist rockets. We talked about tennis balls. We talked about all manner of things that would not get shiny pieces of tinfoil. Yes. Drones. <laughs> many things. 
And the thing is, I spent, I feel like I spent my childhood on roofs. It was a big thing to do in my neighborhood to find ways to <laughs> climb on the roofs of suburban houses. Did you do this in your neighborhood? Yes. Yes. Because there yeah. sometimes is a tree branch that's near a thing and you it can get on roof. It might just be something as simple as like you found a way using a wood pile to like get on the garage. But yeah, getting on roofs was definitely a thing. And when I was in college, it was a huge thing. Yeah, we would do it. We would do it for hide and seek. You would hide on the roof behind the chimney and you couldn't be seen from the ground. It was an ultimate hiding spot. I'm not out of bounds. I'm in, I'm on the property. Yeah. And they have yeah. like no, no roof rules, right? And so I have a lot of experience going on roofs. And yet I think it's maybe because this is New England. I'm pretty sure no roof that I ever went on in suburban Long Island had... A pitch on the roof like my current house does. My current, it's not, maybe it's not 45 degrees, but it's way steeper than any roof I was ever on a kid. So the first time I was on my roof, which is around the time I was getting my roof replaced after we shortly after I bought the house, I'm like, whoa, this feels different. It feels like that it's not, I can't just stand on this roof. It is a potential where I can lose my footing because it's very steep. Right. And then getting down from the roof off of a very steep roof is surprisingly tricky because the ladder yes. just pokes up a tiny little bit over the edge and also leaning the ladder against my gutters. And I don't want to dent them, blah, blah. Point is, I don't want to go near my roof because I feel like, as I said on, the, on that episode that we uh, will be in the show notes, the risk reward ratio for someone of my age is terrible. Okay. I'm looking at Google Maps at your house. Who's the creepy one? You're looking at Google Maps <clears throat> on my house? No, I'm just investigating. No, <laughs> pictures, John. It's not creepy. I didn't send you this picture. You, you sought it out. No, I didn't. I mean, you, you knew I'd do this. What do you think? So is that 45 degrees? It's steep. Yeah, it's pretty much, so you've got these, you've got the, well, I don't want to over-describe it, but yeah, you got a house, and should we stop here? Is this too bad? No, it's fine. Like, there's, there, but I'm well, you have about a very, the, the up, have a very tall chimney with, like, a cap on it, and so are you looking at it from... From every angle I could possibly look at my chimney, there's a place on top of the, the that metal cap where, from the ground, you cannot see this bird. Okay. From anywhere. No, just circle the house. Just take a walk all the way around the house from any yeah. distance. You just can't. Maybe if I went across the street and got like a line of sight from there, maybe I could see something. But from my property, I could not see the thing. Okay. Let's see here. So I think I think what oh, I've learned man. is, uh, you know, the woodpecker will eventually go away. You're not going to go on the roof. It is annoying. Is there a screen underneath pass. the little lid? There is. It's like it, the whole point of that thing is uh, basically to keep animals from nesting in your right, chimney. You know, yeah, like like birds or possums. Yeah, or whatever. so it's like metal. It's like metal mesh that <sighs> prevents like squirrels and other stuff from going in there. And well, then and the why did we decide? Well, forgive me. Why did we decide against drones? I have a drone, but but like oh, but like I, I feel oh, like we we discussed not why you why you decided not to use a drone. Did we talk about that? Probably, but like you know, it, what would actually happen is the drone would end up on the roof, and I would have to go up on the roof and get the drone. I'm not an, <laughs> no, I'm now not we're an, back to you on the roof. I'm not an expert drone pilot. I'm not going to <laughs> outpilot a bird. I considered right. just like scare the bird away from the noise of the thing. But practically speaking, what would happen is either I would break the drone, or the drone would like crash into my roof and flip upside down, and then I have to get the drone. Well, off the okay. So the reason I ask right now, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking one thing: reconnaissance. This is a purely like a reconnaissance mission, which is you need to get a camera on that drone, I think, and get up there and just see what's going on to put your mind at ease or not. Yeah, I don't I don't have one of those drones with a camera. I have a very cheap, crappy drone. That you does can not expense it to the show. You should get one of those. Get a DJI. I, I feel like that's <laughs> speaking of things my family asked me about you. This wasn't directly about you, but they were yeah. like, do people actually buy those little segue things? And oh I said, oh my God, know, who's Stop, tell people to stop listening to my show. But it was, Why is anyone talking? Tell people said, not you, to talk about me, please. <laughs> you know, Merlin has one of those. She's like, I really? use it though does he for my work. I'm like, yes, I, he does. I use it for my work. Yeah. Your business I papers, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Uh, but anyway, okay. so but I you know, like I'm, I'm looking at your neighborhood here. You have a nice neighborhood. There's surely there's got to be somebody in your neighborhood who who has a drone. There's got to be a drone with a phone camera where you could go up. I think you need to see. You need to suss out the situation, see what's going on. You're, it's not seeking destroy. You're just seeking to understand. And I think a drone is the way to do that. It's not going to end up on the roof. You know what? Maybe call in one of your masculine friends who's really good with a drone to do this for you. Well, so what am well, what am I supposed to learn from this? Because I know the bird is up there. I would it you put know, your mind at ease to at least know where the bird is located if it's maybe, broken maybe through I the screen? There's no hole. Is that what I'm looking for to see if there's no damage without okay, actually well, having okay, to go up so there? Okay, well, okay. So this is the way that my brain works. I would like to think uh, I'm already working at cross purposes with myself. I would like to think that adding information to something I'm anxious about will make me feel better. Unfortunately, one of the horrible ways in which you and I are wired the same, similarly. I think is that more information does not always make it better. In fact, more information sometimes make it, makes it much worse. Given the fact that you do not want to be on this roof, and this is a tall, steep roof where like a shingle could move and then it's all over. Uh, I would say you first need to see, you need to find out where this dirty little bird is. Where is he, where is he perching? Ha, has he, uh, what's Roderick's word? Like, has he penetrated your perimeter? Is he in your proper, is he in your chimney mm-hmm. proper? Is he setting up house? Is he bringing his friends over for a drum circle? Like, you need to get in front of this. And I think a drone is the way to do that. Or you could send your son up. Send up your son. He's no, expendable, that's, right? That's not, I'm not going to happen. All right. Shingles not going to slip, by the way. What will happen is your foot will slip on the shingles. Shingles aren't mm-hmm. coming anywhere. Let me see. Let's zoom They're, in on this asphalt door. shingles. Just sheets. They're not slipping. It's not like right, there's a slate roof where a piece of slate's going to come loose. Okay, so that's where the snake was. Okay. You can't see where the snake was from. The, it was behind the house. Hmm. Oh, the snake did sometimes bask on I'm going to send a drone over for you. I, uh, yeah, I think, uh, the, I, I think the Google Street View is like uh, <laughs> a, a, at least one renovation ago. It's not like the Yeah, this is old. Oh, God, it's so maddening. But, you know, honestly, it makes a huge, I mean, like silliness aside, it makes a huge difference that you know or can, you know, assume that uh, there is not an infinite time scale to the woodpecker that it will go away. You could write it out if you have to. I think the crazy making thing is not knowing when it's going to happen and how long it'll be. That's the crazy part for me. Yeah, but there is a certain comfort in now. Like when I did hear it, it's like, oh, it's back. But I immediately knew what it was. There's no yes, mystery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Although I did still, I was still a little upset that I couldn't see the bird because then I, then I started thinking, like I said, I started thinking, what if, is it making a hole now that I can't see what it's doing? Well, let's extrapolate. Where are we going to be three years from now? He's right. like AI. It's, it's like an not, AI not, woodpecker. It's not an infinite amount of pecking that the, my chimney cap can take. <laughs> AI, avian intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Close, close, close the bug. What are we doing here? We're, when we come back two weeks, three weeks, or four weeks from now, depending on when you're listening, when we're recording, where will we be with the woodpecker? Well, so this, the woodpecker, when did I tell you it returned? I think I told you it returned before school vacation week. I think I messaged you that. Okay. So I've been gone for a while, uh, and I don't know what's been happening when I've been gone. I feel like that's the best solution is don't be in your house, because then you won't, yeah. you know, won't know. But now I'm back, and I haven't heard it since I've been back. Uh, April 13th. Yeah, haven't haven't heard it since I've been back. So does that mean it's gone, oh, or is it just waiting? Like maybe it was here all day it, while I was at work because I went to work having, today. Maybe, maybe it's making babies in there. Mm, maybe it, maybe it's got its its feet up and it's on what they call bed rest, bird bed rest. Because that, that by the way, that I don't know if you know about this phenomenon, but like, hmm. uh, well, you haven't talked about your vermin. Maybe you don't have vermin. You've got the cat, but not really a useful cat. But uh, she doesn't technically count as vermin. But I take your point. Yeah, right. Um, th- when I leave the house for long periods of time and there is no one home, I feel like that's the time the vermin 
become bold. They're like, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't heard any humans in this house for like three days. I think it's oh, safe yeah. to come out. And then they come out and like get into all your ramen packages and poop all over the place. And previously you thought you had no mice, but really what you had was mice that were kept at bay by the fact that you exist. And once you're gone for a week, they're out and they're partying. I haven't done deep investigation, so I don't know if that is could be noise. It could be vibration. It could it could be like you know like in an old like a noir or a detective thing like you you tear off a piece of paper and you stick it in your door jam so you can know if somebody's mm-hmm, been in your room mm-hmm. like are, maybe there's an insect version of that that is not knowable to us but they've got tracers through the house where they are able to know John's gone. Not I've wondered that. Rodent. I feel like when the, when the, we so I don't know how how can I put this like we don't get we don't have bugs like you know oh, Jesus the kinds except of, for on planty right. Yeah, we'd take Planty outside. Planty's Planty's uh, on the back porch right now. Uh, yeah, I, my wife's really got a hard on for Planty right now. Title, um, but uh, but no, we don't get that. But we will sometimes find copious amounts of giant um, mouse poop in the garage, and that's when I go to the mattresses in a way I will not publicly discuss because I get email about it. But let's just say that if I know there's mice down there, they ain't gonna be mice for long. I get on that. The last time I, I put down my final solution for the mice, we haven't seen any. So we're not even getting mice, which is crazy because like you go down the street a little bit and you like, you can, we don't get rats so much here. You'll see rats downtown, like just running around. You just see rats on the street, but we don't get, we don't get critters. We don't have silver fish. We get, you know, like fruit flies. Fruit flies are like the worst that we get. I we bet you we, still have mice. They're just out of your the areas that you care about. No, no, no. Believe me. Daddy knows how to put down a trap. <laughs> When Daddy, when Daddy put a trap down, Daddy knows within 72 hours, there's going to be a very sad little mousy boy in there. And I've had him down for weeks and we're picking up nothing. This? I think we did discuss this. We did discuss it. I don't discuss mice. it anymore because I'm tired of getting email about how mean I am to mice. Yeah. But anyway, last time, last time we discussed it, I, had, I discussed, said that I had been on the poison bandwagon because I feel like it's the only thing that has worked in our house. Uh, and I just haven't gotten around to the fact that maybe like they've eaten through all the poisons. There's been so many of them. It's leaving a trail of bodies equal to the amount, you know, this, this, this is the problem with the poison. We'll kill this number of they mice. They want to go, no, go find like, some nice warm place to die on your wall. But poison has only My been. My solution keeps them in place, if you know what I mean. Uh, no, I know, but I feel like mm-hmm. I, we discussed this last time. I did, I did your thing for a long time and it never seemed to work. The only thing that worked, was uh, really worked was the poison. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of the poison. Yeah. Makes them thirsty. They need to go outside to get a drink. Mm, that's good. They chew through our hose. Just, just like in a period of like, le- like less than a week, just, the hose was just gone. Yeah. I mean, I told you about my dishwasher thing in the last show, but then we have to find <sighs> another episode for the notes because I don't want to repeat all my mouse stories. No, no. I got to save something for the show. All right. Well, anyway, all right. Yeah, will they, you, they will chew you, through our dishwasher hose. Will you at least consider a drone? Because it would be really funny if you did that. I don't. I don't feel like I can. I'm, it's not. I'm not. It's the lifestyle choice. You know, I'm not ready to I make. Think, I sometimes. I and I understand this. I. I believe me, I understand this phenomenon. Sometimes people just want to talk about how the world is not the way they want. They just. They don't want a solution. They just want to be sad in public. <laughs> I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure a drone is the solution. Though. I'm not sure. It sounds like a fun toy. If See, I, was I, drones, I don't think I would you want a solution have. to this. I don't think you want a solution to this. I think you are a typical. You are a typical. East Coast liberal who will uh-huh. do anything to get in the way of a solution because you got to yabba 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 for everything. Oh, my, my, my roof, my precious roof. Well, you need to get I, a drone. I, the, the solutions I prefer that I dwell no. on are like the wrist rocket yes. and BB gun variety. I, I love that solution. I, I love the idea of you out there maybe with some Dale Gribble glasses. Did you, did you end up ordering one that time we talked about that? Sure did. 
And you totally ended up with baller. the I should have gotten this. I can I feel like I want a wrist rocket, but I never did actually buy one. Maybe I'll I you know, if I had to do over again, I would go back and just get a simple daisy. This one is way too way too complicated. It looks like something like a from compound Destiny. wrist rocket. It looks yeah, it's compound. It looks like something from Destiny. It's very confusing. And a daisy wrist rocket is really all you need. Yeah. You go and you spend you spend three weekends practicing with a daisy wrist rocket. You could do this with spitballs, John. Mm-hmm. You could do this with you could do this with well, maybe wood, a blue, wood chips, a blueberry. acorns, anything. You could wood chips, them. acorns, uh, rat poison. There's all kinds of things you could do. <laughs> Bird seed. It would be poetic justice. <laughs> oh God! I have a little Here's fire sunflower scarecrow. in your eye, peckerhead. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good word, peckerhead. Remember that one? That was what an old. That was an word. old. Old like was that late seventies or you early eighties? You got to blip this one, Jim. But my other favorite is. Sh- bird i don't have occasion to use it and i feel like i don't maybe don't deserve it's so great especially like i don't know like somebody on a cop show it's such a good I feel bird like the thing such you a could good say one. to someone who's doing something dumb in traffic if you're driving yeah um where else could you do it i, I think you could say it about a uh misbehaving pet maybe I there was a time in the mid to late 70s where uh i was a big fan of turkey oh hmm. turkey so is something like a cop show that was using that a lot? Mm, I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think of it as being from a TV show, but like it was just kind of like, oh, it's quit being a turkey. Hmm. That's very uh, pretty quaint. I'm gonna run the risk and see what Urban Dictionary says a turkey. <laughs> no, <is>. no, <laughs> it's too broad. <laughs> <laughs> they got an too answer. many. There'll be too they, many definitions. You'll you'll an you'll, they get, they you'll be an lulled into a sense of security and keep reading. <laughs> a turkey is a person who's full of jive. It no. ain't cool being no jive turkey. A turkey, mm. one who is not quite a dangus, but nor a dingus. Hmm. Uh, a turkey, someone who says something extreme. Come on, guys. Oh no, these are oh they're getting problematic. <laughs> uh, a person who talks back and is snappy with its answers, possessive. Uh, we we had a problem. We had a problem like this just uh, today. Uh, some my 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 daughter or my daughter's friend was telling someone else, uh, one of my my daughter's friend's mother, that she was interested in getting a skink. And uh, as a my pet, friend, my friend's mother said, "What's a skink?" And my daughter, being the uh, tech nerd that she is, said, "Okay, dingus, what's a skink?" Mm-hmm. But the dingus heard what's a skank and gave oh, the definition. No. Oh no! Was that in front of Mima? In front of everybody. Oh no! And so I, then I then I told I, well, I didn't tell her anything, but I was like I what I know what she needed to do, which is she needed to enunciate better because she like me is a mumbler, and yeah. she didn't enunciate, so you can't really blame the cylinder, right? Yes. Um. Instead, what she did was say. Okay, dingus, what's like a blue-tailed skink? Or she gave some specific variety that would narrow it down better. And that gave the answer to what's a blue-tailed or blue-ringed skink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I said to her, that kind of worked, but what also might have worked is uh, enunciating better because I think it misheard you. <laughs> Try, do better, honey. No, just <laughs> the idea that like the reason it misheard you is because you weren't enunciating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like, and that it was a good idea to make it more specific, but then you didn't get the answer that you really wanted, which was a general definition of, of what's a skink, not a specific kind of one, right? Because it didn't even say that it was a lizard. It said the blue-tailed skink is a variety of skink that lives in blah, 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 blah. But if you don't know what it is, you know. Anyway, yeah. so she did it a third time and, and enunciated. And she enunciated skink, 
but the whole rest of the command was the same mushed up, even a more mushed up marble mouth thing than it was before. But anyway, the the the, the cylinder got it, and we learned what a skink was. And uh, this is a this is a Google dingus, right? Yeah, okay. uh, and skinks are gross. And oh, I, don't know so, I found them. one in my yard in Florida, and it, it felt like a portent or an omen. It was so terrifying. No, partially eaten skink. You wouldn't. Yeah, you don't want a skink anywhere. But my daughter thinks they're cute. So. Oh, they're so gross. Have you seen? Um, I won't say the name. Uh, skill blueprints for the Echo ecosystem. Skill blueprints. No. It's a new thing. Here, let, let me let me uh, pause. Hang on one second. Who is the best dad? I've checked the internet, and Merlin is definitely the best dad. You can go in and do um, basic uh, little things now. You can make your own trivia app. You can go in and you can make fairy tales. You can make something that explains to people how to use your house. Pet sitter. How cool is that? I mean, it's basic. It's not like programming. You basically, it's like Mad Libs, basically. That's but you go neat. in. I think it's kind of a neat idea. This platform is moving fast, man. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. That's not the so, world's greatest thing, but it's pretty. I think we cool. talked about on on ATP recently was the Google thing where they added that you can just make any command you want and have it be have it expand like a oh, macro like into any any series of other commands. Right, oh, that's so good. So you could say like make up any sentence or word that you want, and it will do like these seventeen things that the thing could already do. So like, yeah, they, there's something um, Echo added a few weeks ago that I use every single morning, which they call routines. And a routine is just a multi-step thing that was, it's so funny because I, I had, I had not a complaint, but yeah, a complaint. I have a couple complaints about the ecosystem. Two things that bug me. I hate that the voice speaks when a Bluetooth connection is lost. That is maddening. Like, especially if it happens in the middle of the night, that's no good. So I've stopped using it for Bluetooth. And I always thought, I kind of always wished there were a way to, uh, let's say after 10 o'clock, reset the volume on all devices to like level three of 10. You know what I mean? So like when you wake up in the morning and you have it play your radio station in my case. So now when I wake up in the morning, I say, hey, Dingus, light it up. And it's three steps. Number one, it sets the volume of my Echo to volume level three of 10. Number two, it starts streaming KQED FM. Um, number three, it uh, turns on the lights in the bedroom. I feel like that volume thing is within the realm of reason. You should be able to say... Uh, hey, Dingus, uh, every night at 7 p.m., set your volume to 30%. You know, I should try that. Because huh, like, that, you, not... you, you know it can tell you, like, at time X, do job Y, like repeating jobs. It's, you're yeah. not asking it to, like, every third Sunday when there's a full moon. You're just saying, like, no, every no, night right. at whatever. Uh, and you know it knows how to set its volume, so it feels like that's the thing you could ask it, which I, would be better than, seem, yeah. than macro. It does seem, yes, you're right, that does seem reasonable. Um yeah, Echo's been adding a lot of really good stuff. That's um, the one I still don't have in my house. I'm, I'm running out of room for for uh, cylinders, so I've got the you know, I don't know. Maybe I could add one upstairs or something. But if you do get a um, get a spot and cover the camera, <laughs> yeah, maybe Echo spot. No, no. I, I mean, believe me, I have an unconscionable number of these in many different configurations. And if you're going to buy one, get a spot. Yeah, the poor uh, HomePod does not get talked to that much. Save it for the show. Hmm. Um, <laughs> White Ring's kind of the least of their words at this point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Holy wow. Oh, God, that was a funny conversation on your other program. <laughs> when you were kind of laying out like, well, what do you mean? It depends what you mean by success, because maybe they reached their expectations, and we don't know yeah, what their like, you know, very not, low not, expectations Not working up to potential versus, <laughs> oh, it's good that, you know. Yeah. 
Timmy showed up to school today. The thing I keep I keep returning to, um, talked about this with uh, Jason Snell on Upgrade uh, like a little bit ago, is like, you know, like for you and me, we got a lot of skin in the game and certainly no small amount of nostalgia. You guys talked about what your, what, what was the glory days for the Mac you guys talked about recently? The heyday, yeah. Heyday, heyday, of, heyday of the Mac. And I, I thought, your response, not, not I thought your response was not only very good, but correct. Um, but, um, but I was just saying to Jason, like, I think, I think one way to snack, snap oneself out of one's torpor, nostalgia, and old man-itis is to stop acting like the world can, should, or will stay mostly the way they understand and act act like, like, hey, you know what? Let's treat the youngsters like a dummy. Let's act like they don't know F all about image writers. Let's act like they don't really care about what it meant when color came to the Mac. Let's pretend that you're 13 or 14 years old and it's time for you, or you know, whatever age, and it's time for you to get your first laptop. What are you going to get? And I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to be such a constant karma suck about this, but I just don't think the Apple ecosystem apart from the, apart from the iPad and definitely the iPhone right now, I don't think the ecosystem is that inviting uh, for somebody to, come into at this point. And I, I contrasted that. I don't know if you listen to the show, but I contrasted that with the iPod where the iPod was the gateway drug. You went, wow, if this is what it's like, you know, I get this costly device that makes my music so fun. I wonder what it'd be like to have a laptop and a this and a that. And I was just saying to Jason, maybe I'm shooting fish in a barrel. I can't even, I can't imagine that many people. I can't imagine people saying, wow, the iPhone 10 looks really cool. And it is pretty cool. You get that. How many people now are going, wow, now I really want a HomePod and an Apple TV. And a, and a MacBook adorable. <laughs> like, how many people are doing that? I mean, set aside my shooting fish in a barrel. You get a 12, 13-year-old coming into the world today and making decisions about uh, the ecosystem based on what they know, like, and use. Do you think there's a super compelling argument for most young people to get excited about Apple stuff right now? I see where you're coming from. I haven't. That's an upgrade where you guessed it, right? I haven't heard that one yet. Um, but, but if I... When thinking about that same thing, like, why, why it may not be... Uh, you know, thin into the wedge to get them not into as the exciting ecosystem. and attractive for somebody now as it was for us when we were the same age. And the, the way the reason I think it might not be is not so much because the Apple stuff is worse, but when when I think about what what does make it something inviting is our, our products that solve problems for you. And that used to a lot of Apple's problems, like the iPod being a great example, would solve problems for you. The problem is like yeah. I want to listen to music, and uh, this this solves that problem for me in a way that previous solutions, you know did not do as well because they were a Walkman with a cassette or a CD player and they all had limitations as compared to an iPod. So this this solves the the music, uh, you know, whatever, the job to be done type of thing, right? Port- portable, when, like mobile music. Right. And when I think about what would attract somebody to a particular ecosystem, I, I, I constantly think of Google because Google is there waiting to solve a bunch of important problems that a lot of people have. Just starting from the basics of email and calendar, Google will solve that problem for you in a way that is incredibly convenient for you. That works anywhere. You don't. That, you do that, not lose that, information. That is always in sync. Yeah. You don't have to worry about backups. That you don't have to do installs. You don't have to do updates. And you don't have to pay to have all your stuff. Right. And it's all basically free. And you can pay more for fancier things, but most people don't care about. They'll also store all your photos unlimited amount forever in reduced quality that no one cares that it's reduced except for nerds like me, right? Yep. 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 And those are problems that a lot of people have. That doesn't prevent you from using it as belt and suspenders, though. Whereas to get into the Apple ecosystem, even just in those basic things, Apple has solutions for all those, but all their solutions are more complex, less limited, and require, for example, like if you were to explain to somebody, require explanation. Oh, well, mm-hmm. 
you can get all your you can have an Apple email address, but here are the limitations involved in it. Here are the limitations of their of their web client that no one uses anyway. And here and here you have to have this application and you have to run updates and has to run this OS. Can you imagine if can you imagine if iCloud the iCloud web experience of mail was your first time? Using an online mail account, yeah, like it, I don't just don't recommend it. Like it's, it's really de- it's really a depressing idea that they they've got something that's like a cave drawing of what a real application looks like, and you're supposed to use that on a web page. It's like a weird facsimile of of a native app, but in, in a web thing, and then like all sorts of weird browser requirements of their web applications, and all sorts of caveats. But even, even things like notes, like oh, there's notes you can use versus Google Docs, right? There's notes, but make sure you have if you, if you have an older version of iOS, it's still using the IMAP version of notes, and the new version is the good version of the one. Like mm-hmm. there's too much explanation. It's like Google is inviting because it will solve these problems for you in a way that requires far fewer caveats and explanations and and like, using oh, using and if, if there's one keyboard and mouse device or just even just keyboard device that's in your life as a kid it's very likely to be a chromebook at this point yeah and i'm not sure i i'm still i think the jury's still out on how that will influence kids like yes they will be familiar with it and know it solves a problem for them but they may also look down on it and see the iphone mm-hmm. as an upgrade and, and the thing the thing about the iphones and apple ecosystems you can use all those google solutions with apple things so apple's yes. not boxed out but it makes it less attractive there is yeah. you don't to, if all your stuff is on google and google solves these basic problems for you you don't need to go to the apple ecosystem to get them and and in fact if you are on the apple ecosystem it's somewhat more fresh. I find this frustration. Like every single application within on my iPhone or my iPad that wants to to have like a share sheet to let me send email yeah. sends me into Apple's mail program. Oh, I, like, I don't use that. I don't. You ever send try, you ever try to use sheets on an iPad, let alone an iPhone? Oh, uh, Google Sheets. Yeah, yeah. It is rough. Well, yeah, I got, I got a couple more fish to put in this barrel. Uh, here's one. I loved your little mini thread and mini retweet the other day about somebody had mentioned. Um, I think they were spe- specifically, it started by talking about the one of, it was very confusing because they'd gone to the movies and bought a ticket. And one of the ticket things they interacted with was a touchscreen and another one wasn't. And they posted a photo that many of us are seeing more and more these days, which is a little, you know, little brother label at the bottom of the screen that says not a touchscreen. I mean, could who you- Who was that strange you, person who said that? I don't remember. Who was that? It's me. Come on. Uh, uh, I thought it started out with you retweeting a bunch of people. No, that was me. That was, that you was at me the taking movies? a picture with my phone when I went to see the movie. That's you did in that. The third that item was you. You did, you did that. That was me. Yes. You sure? I, actually, you sure that wasn't a retweet. I added this to the topic list for ATP, and ATP will probably come out before this, so I will talk about this on the podcast. It will have come out before you listen to this uh, one. So I don't want to go too far in okay, depth into fair, it now. Fair, fair, but fair. Yes. But okay, I, I, I think okay. So, so before I get to my next fish in the barrel, a couple things to think about. Um, I hear you having an interest. You see, you see the Echo, Echo family of products and say, oh, that's kind of interesting. But you know, I'm, I'm real happy, such as it goes, with the Google version of that. And whereas, whereas I was a fairly, no, I was an early adopter of the Amazon Echo ecosystem. And I, for, for that kind of advice, I have two rabbis in my life. They don't know it, but like Dan Morin and Joe Rosenstiel are two people. Like I really look at Dan because Dan Dan has been very interested in this from the beginning. So he he's always an interesting tastemaker for me. Where when he got the Google Dingus, he said, you know, it's really good. But like I'm already in on the 
ecosystem. And like, you know, you know the, the minimal number of things I need to do that are Google related actually kind of work fine with the ecosystem. Like I can add stuff to my calendar, whatnot. And then over here, I got Joe Rosenstiel, who's really good at like keeping me up to date on what's happening in the ecosystem and all the new changes. But you see where I'm going with that? Like how long have these devices been around? And maybe there's not a final winner yet, but I feel like two things we can see is that uh, number one, Echo is pretty far in front in terms of functionality, at least, and I think market penetration. But second, whichever one you got started with, you, even within a year or two, even if you've only got one, I feel like you're, there's already something like a first mover advantage that did not help the HomePod at all. That there were there were already less costly, more more uh, robust from a voice standpoint. Maybe not the sound quality, but more robust from a functionality standpoint. And I, I think it's already surprisingly within a couple three years. I think that market is already starting to narrow a little bit. So that first mover advantage only works if you pass a minimal level of competence, right? Because I feel like even if the HomePod is the first thing that you got, it doesn't. It's not as sticky because. You're not going to use it's it. Not You're a, not going to stick with it, does, it. It doesn't. I mean, if you use it, it its use cases are narrower. But like if you'd it, only ever, case, people who only it, ever use Siri in the first month that came out still, ref, some people still refuse to even attempt Siri because they're still mad about how badly it was broken when it came out. Yeah, that's also a topic in ATP. Uh, oh, uh, my God. But yeah, but no, that, like that, I, that, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is that, like the reason the Echo and Google Home are sticky is because they do a bunch of stuff. And if you get used yeah. to doing them with with Echo or with Google Home, you're like, uh, you know, and you don't have to learn a special language. Right. You don't have to learn a special language or trick it. Like you do have to learn that there are sort of like me with trying to get face ID to work consistently. You do learn that there are certain things that work better than others. You learn to enunciate, right? You learn like uh, you eventually you pick up the habits, but it isn't like, yes, Amazon skills do require somewhat of an extra level of terminal like interaction, but like, but increasingly with Echo, and I, I guess you could probably say this, whether this is true or not for, for the Google device, Echo just is pretty damn good at hearing almost everything I said and knowing what to do with it instantly. Yeah, my kids test that pretty well for the Google things. Just show yell from upstairs and, you know, say things in all sorts of distances that I don't think is any way it's going to hear her. To the point where she's been frustrated that it hears her from so far away that the volume is not high enough for her to hear the answer. Wow, that's an interesting so problem. She, so she cranks the volume up so that if you're in the room with things, it's deafening. Uh, so yeah, it's really reliable. And like, with all these things, I think you you build a life for yourself. You build you build up your own little life uh, with the device you have, which is why when someone says, oh, you should check out the Echo or you should check out Google Home, you're like, oh, I'm fine with what I got. Right. But I feel like if you have the HomePod, even best case scenario, if it does everything it's designed to do perfectly to your satisfaction, its range of solution is so narrow that you won't have anything that's, for example, answering your... Uh, complex open-ended questions in a reliable way, which is something Google Home does very reliably, but the HomePod is not as good at. Last night, um, I, some of the Vine compilations we watch make references to what I know to be the Damn Daniel video. And um, just just when I finally think that Siri on Apple TV has, has gotten where I want it to be, and honestly, I, I use Siri on Apple TV almost as much as I use it on my watch. Like I use it. The, the, the thing about Siri and Apple TV though, yeah. is that it is so compelling in contrast to having to use the remote to navigate as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's what makes it seem so good. I, I finally made my daughter understand, believe me, honey, just say Brooklyn nine, nine, just trying to navigate <laughs> the God damned Hulu app. You, you will lose your mind, but here's I, the fun I mean, part. Good. I, I said like, even just, even if I know what to do, I need to go down, down, left, select, right. Pulling that off 
on the controller is it's like a, it's not a, it's not a no look it's not a no look operation it is there's some serious con- uh, you know concentration and like tongue sticking out of the corner of the mouth using that stupid remote oh i know it feels like a little uh, a very like a little mini game but um i mean this is a dumb, maybe a dumb example but last night uh i was like oh honey you know that one thing where they're pointing somebody's shoes i should show you that uh um Hey, uh, so, so say to the dingus, um, and this actually, I have great luck with this particular incantation. Usually if I say, um, find find monster factory, um, find monster factory on YouTube. It's great at that. It really is. It goes into the YouTube app and it does a search and it works great. So I, I just real quick said, uh, I hit the button and said, find damn Daniel on YouTube and it didn't work. I wasn't paying much attention. I just saw that it didn't work. So I said it again. I said, find damn Daniel on YouTube. And it didn't work. And I was like, oh, what is wrong? Find damn Daniel on YouTube. I finally thought to look at the screen and it had a funny joke about how I was cursing and it wouldn't find it. I mean, that's cute. That's cute. So who are you helping with that? I get what mm-hmm. you're doing. Who are you helping with that? Here's my final fish in the barrel. Uh, and I, I think this is a big, some people realize that this is a big deal. I think only only some people are truly understanding how big a deal this fish in this barrel is. Okay, so you saved up your lawn mowing money. You're ready to join in the Apple ecosystem. Maybe grandma, maybe Mima helped you buy it. You're going to go, and you're really excited to maybe go go pick up an iPhone 10. What are you going to do? Do you get it from Amazon? Oh, going to the Apple Store to buy something? I think they would go to the Apple Store. How were your last three t- trips to the Apple Store? That's the thing about the Apple Store that I always hear when we talk about it, that everybody loves the Apple Store except for tech nerds. Uh, I think the Apple Store has become like a very beautiful DMV. And I, I don't see that many people looking happy in there because a huge volume of the people who are in there are bringing in their very old Macs or are trying to get their grandparents or their grandkids' photos back. There's a lot of unhappy and jostled people being handled very poorly in the Apple store and it is not a fun place to be. But that's our experience of it, but percentage wise, like I feel I feel like it's the Yogi Bear thing. No you one goes cust- there anymore. Customer it's too crowded. Sat. Customer sat. It's t- no one goes anymore, it's too crowded. Yeah, All yeah, those people yeah. are not there to go to the genius part. They're just like loitering and looking at the hardware. That's what's filling the store. And then the, the twelve people who need to repair are like interspersed between them. And there's not enough staff because half the people are telling people about their watch band options or something. But if you went in there, like if you went in there knowing that you want the phone that you've seen your rich friends have and you've seen cool ads for on TV, if you got the dough in your pocket that day or on your credit card, do you think you're going to walk out of there with a phone based on that experience? I think you will. And I think you Mm -hmm. will end up being handled by a salesperson in a way that you are like, that you you get treated like a rich person in that store. That's true. true. It's no no Best Buy style experience. Someone will spend 10 minutes with you and explain the phone and be knowledgeable and nice and eventually get the phone for you and send it on your way. It feels different from 10 years ago. It feels so different to me. It does. But like I'm saying, especially to tech nerds like us, who the only reason we ever go in there is because we need a job to be done. There's these stupid bodies all over the place that are preventing us from getting that job done and the east coasters are frustrated because there's no lines and it's just driving us insane we've had many shows talking about that but i'm not entirely sure that this the overall store experience is seen as negative by people who are not heavily into the tech scene that's super interesting i mean i, I, don't I wonder know. where, we, I wonder where to, we could find that out 
I mean, I feel like maybe if you talk to like employees to say like, is most of your day spent dealing with angry people? Because if you talk to a Best Buy employee who talks to customers at all, I bet they would say most, the only time I interact with customers oh, is yeah. when they're angry at me. Or like when right? they can't find something. I mean, basically, what, what is it they say that in life, in, you know, in, in life, the ability to say no is not power. The ability to say yes represents power. Right. I mean, and I imagine at Best Buy, people are mostly empowered to say no. Yeah. And, it's, you know, I, I think the Apple Store experience is a is a to is an experience that most of us don't get in any store no store and i shop in will anyone pay as much attention to me be as hmm. knowledgeable and treat me as nicely as in an apple store if i'm just vaguely interested in an iphone because i don't shop in the kind of stores where like everything costs a bazillion dollars and they'll come and like put the shoes on your feet for you or whatever they do at rich people stores like but the apple store <laughs> That someone will will talk to you for fifteen minutes about the various options on iPads and iPhones, and then we'll sell ah, you one and give it to yeah, you in a little yeah, bag yeah. like they're your friend. And you can't get that experience. You cannot I, get that experience almost anywhere. I don't know. I mean, I I feel like most of the people in an Apple store are exasperated for different reasons. There's a lot of exasperation, and I find the employees these days to be very confused a lot of the times at the store. Like the last time I went in there to do but a thing. But we know that because we know the answers already. We're the tech Well, I don't know about that. But I mean, no, but I mean, I'm talking about like going in. I th- I've talked about this somewhere before, probably not here. But when I bought, I want to say when I got my wife a watch for Christmas, maybe it was a terrible experience. They had, I was, there were, I mean, the thing is, what I want to say is that the person I was dealing with was also taking care of two other people. I wish it was that easy to explain. It was not as simple as one poor harried man was doing a a tech check-in and two different purchases, including a guy who, um, who his credit card didn't work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of problems and excuses, and we'll try this again. And me, literally just there to pick up an order. Um, and of course show my license cause you know, all that kind of stuff, but it's not even as simple as that. There were also kind of two and a half other people involved who sort of bounced in and out and had to be reminded who was being helped with what, where it was not utter chaos, but like, I, and then of course I've been in there recently, not too long ago to get an iMac repair. There's been all kinds of stuff where like that place is not running smoothly. And I don't think you have to be a nerd to get it. I've overheard the conversations of civilians with their iPad minis, like sitting there and they're like, I've been here for three hours and like, who's helping me? What is going on? So, I mean, you're right. It is, it is different from the place where I guess on the one hand, it's different from a Best Buy. On the other hand, maybe it's not quite putting shoes onto rich people's feet, but like, I'm just saying like the, I think when we're doing the old man reboot of where is this company today with the experience of their products and the desires of their consumers, there's a lot of stuff that has slipped. Um, and it's not just, you know, the functional high ground. There's just a lot of stuff where that halo is getting smaller and smaller. But if like the Apple store one, and those problems all are real. And we've talked about them in ATP too, uh, is mostly because they're a victim of their own success and they're out of capacity. And, and the, the reason I really think that's the case and not just like, Oh, that's your excuse. Like it, it's just the problem is they're not handling it well. well especially it's if it's the operations no, guy deciding whether or not with, it's successful. Right. No, or nothing to do with nothing, It's nothing to do with the volume. It would be bad even if there's nobody in the store, but I have had a, a two recent experiences with the Apple store where we happened to be at the mall at a time when the Apple store was dead which is like rare, but if you're, you know, if you're out and about it, weird like times it happens. Was it like at night? 
It was like after, like you ate at a restaurant in the mall and then wandered over to the Apple <laughs> Store after dinner. first thing in the morning. It's a hell of a scene. <laughs> right. But so because I've done that, I've been there when it's been busy and I need to get something done and it is as bad as you say. Like I said, we've complained about it on, on lots of other shows. But the two recent, uh, well, one of them actually was, was medium busy. So the, the empty one was like a couple of times back before I got my iPhone 7, which I have in Jet Black. It was like, oh, the Jet Blacks aren't in stock, but I'm in no hurry. And it's like, oh, we happen to be in the mall. We'll be walking by. Let's see if they have any Jet Blacks. I did that a couple of times when there was nobody there. And eventually, you know, like someone said, oh, yeah, we do have them. I'm like, oh, could we like uh, what I would liken it to? And this is kind of sad that I'm saying this because it, it, it talk, you know, speaks to the state of customer service yeah. in general in low budget places is that the favorable comparison I'm going to make to this experience at the Apple Store is it was like talking to a Google Home or an Amazon Echo in that I didn't have to think about exactly how I had to phrase things and I could just casually say things and the intelligent assistant who was there filled in the blanks. Because I was like, oh, do, do you think, the, you know, talking to my wife, do you think they have any Jet Black iPhones? It's like, oh, can I help you something? It's like, yeah, we wonder if you have any uh, Jet Black iPhones. It's like, I think we do. I'm like, do you have any in 256? Like, let me check. And then came back out and says, yeah, I have one and handed it to me. So you want to buy it? I said, yeah, sure. Like, it was just, it was such a, a casual, you know, in the way that you feel powerful of being able to talk to uh, your Amazon Echo or Google Home uh, in an offhanded way without thinking about how you're going to phrase it. That's what it was like suggesting out to the air in the middle of this Apple store that I have a vague desire that might yeah. need to be fulfilled. And they'd be like, oh, no, we can totally do that. They understood what I wanted immediately, you know, anticipated my needs, went, and di- went above and beyond to do and get the thing, not just to be like a Best Buy employee. says, yeah, we probably have that. And then walking away, right? <laughs> right? Like, get me the thing. Show me the thing. Make the sale. Uh, check for me. Uh, you know, look it up preemptively. Don't, don't say just whatever you see out here. Is there anything in the back? I don't know. Like, right, yeah, like yeah, what we got. right and so that was and that was an empty store and that was a good experience I'm like wow if this store isn't crowded with people like and it was multiple people helping and checking and getting like coordinating as because maybe they're just looking for something to do right but it was like wow that that went incredibly smoothly and they made it they made basically made me make an impulse purchase of like i might as well just get it now we're here yeah, they've got right, the right, thing right. i should just get it that's that's the store functioning well and the other one is when it was medium busy I was in the same situation that I'm in often where you're being helped by multiple people, but we went in there with a fairly thorny problem at a time. It was not slammed, but just not empty either. And it was, we'd, I'd purchased a new phone online, but then canceled the order and purchased a second one. But the first one was associated with my wife's SIM because you entered it when you ordered it online. But I got the second phone and I had to associate it with my SIM because it wouldn't let me make a second order with the same SIM as the first order. But I canceled the first order, but it was going to be her phone, right? (gasps) And this is a situation, honestly, I wasn't sure how it would sort out because it involved Apple's order system, SIM reservations, and carriers. And so we just showed up at an Apple store. I was like, here's the situation. (laughs) I don't know what to do. (laughs) Exactly. And we were helped by three different people who at times came back in and were tag teaming between us and, but all of them explained what was going to happen and what they were going to attempt and how, how it was going to go. And they solved the problem for us with, they, that's, you know, that's really and, good to hear. It, w- w- allowing for the fact, the reason they're bouncing back and forth is because a lot of the time it's spent waiting for the phone to, to reboot or to install an update or to restore from this or waiting for a carrier server to respond. Like there's a lot of downtime in this process and through it all, the team of three very harried people kept track of what stage things people and it terminated in success. And I was happy with that experience. Yes, it, w- it was difficult for the people there and I could see that they were harried, 
but I couldn't have done that myself. I wouldn't have wanted to do it myself. And they knew exactly what needed to be done because they've done the same stupid thing 20 times with yeah, my specific yeah. carrier and the specific phone. They carefully, they let me like take my case off my thing because I'm paranoid about how I take my case off. And they, you know, gave me the <laughs> SIM tool and took out the thing and did it like and humored all my weird foibles and did all that stuff. It would have been better if I was helped by one person who wasn't harried and they could have spent the time to hang out with me and discuss the weather. But they were doing what they could in a difficult situation. All right, like maybe, maybe I'm off base. I just I don't think you are, though. I'm just giving the, the other the, side. I understand. Of it. Like, I, I, I understand. Like, I, I I accept and respect that. I just, I mean, I guess I just feel like, you know, even through the last few years, there's been a kind of a, a sort of way you could kind of like go ha ha and you nod. You go like, oh, you got that. Well, believe me, next you're really going to want this, you know. And then after that, you're going to really want this, and. uh What's the killer app or service? Apple Music, like, like I say, HomePod, yeah, Apple the TV. Phones are still, the phones are still the easy thing. Yeah, like, okay, you, okay, you, okay, okay, What are phone. the next two things you buy after an iPhone 10 besides yeah. cases? I'm still surprisingly. I find surprisingly based on how much I complain about this, I'm actually find myself recommending Apple TVs a lot. Which, it's, given how much I hate the remote and mm. and the competitors and everything, I'm not sure why I'm doing it, but like. To, to give an example, when visiting with my family, they were asking about computers and laptops and stuff. And I was like, it was my sister's thinking of getting a laptop. I'm like, I had to explain to her, now's not a really great time to get a laptop. And she said, well, I don't think really, you know, I was like, sure you don't want a desktop? Because the new iMac's really good. It's like, no, I want a laptop. I'm like, well, just tell me when it's a good time to buy a laptop. And I don't oh, like having God. to tell people now is not a good time to buy a laptop, but it's true. It's yeah. not a good time. I bought one. <laughs> what are you doing? What did you buy? I don't want, put that in, put that in for next week here's the thing we're running long i'm gonna i'm gonna make i'm gonna make make one statement to which you may answer with one sentence and then the show's over agreed you're very demanding sure 2015 15 inch macbook pro you're such a follower 